Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica. First in a new series for the channel, of course, we're keeping it Metallica related. I'm going to call this Mega Histories. Let's see if that sticks for future editions, but, you know, I spoke about this a lot. These are going to be episodes where we take, uh, you know, more long-form interrogation of a subject, uh, explore the obscurer corners, the things you haven't heard. Like, today we're doing Jason. We're doing Jason Newstead. Felt right to feel start with Newstead for some reason. And, you know, we were saying before we went on air, like, People know that, you know, the, the bass is missing. People know he quit the band. But Jack, today, you know, it's about it's about celebrating the uh, more mundane aspects, I suppose, of Newstead. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to manage to celebrate the mundane side of a very interesting man, but we yeah. can certainly try. <laughs> and uh, as always, man, but yeah, great to have you back on the show. I mean, you know, we've we've covered some classics such as Murder One. And uh, it's electric. It's it always yes, a uh, pleasure. Classic, classics in quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Because mm-hmm. of the the classic murder one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks very much for having me on, man. And I know um, you and I were talking about what was going to happen after the alphabetical side of yes. Alphabetalica, the sort of season one, as it were. Of course. Uh, what was going to happen next? And you and I were kind of going back and forth. And you said, "What do we want to do?" And I said, "Jason, you said." And we're like, "Fuck yes, let's do that." <laughs> so so uh, yeah, I'm really excited. And this is kind of my. My, I mean, I talked about him. I somehow managed to worm him in when we were talking about Murder One. So you can imagine how hyped I am to talk about him for an extended period with you on this episode. You know, and someone who is so multifaceted. I mean, talk about eclectic. You know, he's the the fans' fan, the beating heart of the band's live presentation. You know, the action figure is of him mid head bang. You know, but he's also <laughs> a very sage dude. You know, he's um, an experimental painter. Very similar to to Basquiat and that sort of thing. Lars got him into that, and also into a you know a huge range of genres and styles of music. And you know we'll get to his influences influences and stuff like that. But you know alongside that, he's a, he's a very primal performer as well. Like you know what is it about Newstead? You can't really put your finger on one thing, I guess. For me, the the, the initial thing that drew me to him was the live performances because I I'd heard Metallica on record a couple of times through a friend's older brother when I first got into him, and it was a complete mishmash of oh here's some stuff from Kill 'Em All, here's some stuff from Puppets, here's some Saint Anger stuff, here's some Reload and Load and whatever. It was just like a bunch of Metallica songs on a random like CDR basically, mm. and I had no idea there were different bass players, different eras, whatever. I was just listening to it, and I picked out a couple of songs and okay let's look at the live versions and it was a version of i think it was master of puppets from live shit and i saw jason i was like that guy is kicking ass what what is this and like you said he's the action figure he is the head banging like definition Mm -hmm. of metal kind of dude just rocking the stage and the the live performance the backing vocals as well is something i and again, we talked about and we, we really miss um, in the band now oh live and, and, on, and on record as well. But yeah, it was the live performance for me that really kind of first captivated me. And then when I actually picked up the bass myself, then it became a whole other level of fandom. But what was what, what kind of first drew you to Jason? Was it live performances as well? Uh, yes, I suppose so, really. He was just the member of the band at that time. It was just crossing over into that Rob era, so it was still so uh, Jason dominated. But yeah. as we're going to get to, kind of rock star supernova in a twisted kind of way, just because that's what I was watching <laughs> at the time. And that was, like, I'm not saying that's my Jason, although he does shed a tear, actually. 
a cover of Wish You Were Here that's quite a choice clip. And we are going to get to that. So in terms of structure of this episode, you know, Jack, it is going to be quite a loose, rambling structure, but we have got a hell of a lot of notes, actually, that we've uh, Absolutely. collectively yeah. compiled. And, you know, they are derived we, from uh, issues. We joked about the notes, and oh uh, you came back with, like, a 15,000-word essay, and I was like, oh, yeah. shit, this is what we're doing. Because uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'd make, like, sort of minimal notes and stuff, and i kind of, like, make bullet points myself, mm-hmm. and then I'll talk around that, and you went... I'm impressed, Tom. I'm not yeah. going to lie. No, no, you no. Went, I mean, you, you went know, deep, man. Yeah, a lot of it is copied, though, from So What and, you know, those sort of <laughs> things. Like, I'm a disciple of people aware of Mark Lewisham, who's a celebrated <laughs> Beatles scholar. Like, I I kind yeah, of, like, yeah. emulate myself as a fanboy at his sort of research level to a certain extent. So it is quite granular. And I have, you know, we have watched a lot of things. Uh, the Scuzz interview with Newstead. I don't know if you caught that. It's like an oh, hour yeah, and a half, so. couple of I years did, ago. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a That's a access all areas. I love that one. And, like, it's in heavy metal folklore, but... Do you ever feel like you could have or, or should have fought a little bit for your base to be heard a little bit more and had justice for all? I would have had no idea who to fight, <laughs> right. what was happening. Be like swinging, where it was at, happening. swinging at thin air. Um, punching in the dark at nothing. Yeah. There's. We're. It's 1988. We're on Monsters of Rock during the summer. Scorpions, Van Halen, Dawkins. We're playing second on the bill and crushing everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's totally. just un- un- undeniable. <laughs> no matter who uh, who you ask across the board, even Van Halen will go. <laughs> they kicked our. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just the way. Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah, absolutely. So that was a whirlwind in itself. That was like a big, big step that was happening, and we did three, four shows a week as they moved that giant around the countryside. In between those days, Lars and James were trying to mix, finish record, make an artwork, blah blah, blah get all that stuff. I was. The dude over here in the band still going, the world's going. <laughs> yeah, that was the one that I'd kind of, I think I watched it, like you said, a couple of years ago. And it was the first time I'd really seen him go in depth about yeah. most and- of this stuff. I'd seen the little bits from some kind of monster and like a literal bits and pieces here and there. Like, oh, Jason, you still is working on new music, and which we'll obviously cover later on as well in terms of Echo Brain and his oh, own band, Newstead, and all that kind of stuff. Of stuff yeah. And yeah, joining Aussie and all kinds of Chat shit the like Chop that. House. Oh yeah, exactly. How did you forget? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that like, oh, I wonder what Jason's been up to. And I think I watched the interview with him at one of the art galleries that you mentioned when he went into the experimental art yes. and stuff like that. Like, I had no idea there was this side of Jason Newstead. And then I watched that interview as well, and I was like, I like him even more now. This is fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's such a interesting, intelligent, like introspective guy, and Thoughtful, comes open. across really well. He really does. No, he, he absolutely does. And uh, yeah, we'll publish a source list maybe at the end of this, so you guys can <laughs> cross-reference and footnote from this. But uh, yeah, so we've tried to go, uh, you know, above and beyond, as we say. And uh, you know, just before we do get into it, as always, if you enjoy the show, follow us at Metallic Pod. Get in touch with me, metallicpod.gmail.com. We are going to do episodes like this on other members of the band, of course. And then I was thinking probably producers and actually a Dave Mustaine episode would be really good. And that's something I'd be quite interested in researching. Maybe a Marty Friedman episode, which is quite obscure and niche when there's loads of icons going past. But I would like to research that as well. So, uh, yeah, Patreon is there. If you enjoy the show, you can give back to the show there and get access to episodes like this. First of all, iTunes is there. Also, leave us a review. But, yeah, Jason Newstead. Jason Newstead. Jason Curtis Newstead. I mean, Kurt in the middle name, is that ominous or? 
<laughs> clearly I never not. thought of it like that, but now, now you say it. Yeah, that's that's it, a... yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he um, born in 63, as I say, in ba- Battle Creek, Michigan. And similar to James, uh, this is a connection in a more tangible way to almost member. Uh, both raised by strict Christian parents in family-orientated environments. Yeah, I think that's a well-known fact about James, very much so through, you know, the the load and reload era lyrics are very much talking about his relationship with his parents and Confession. in many ways, I mean, literally like Mama said, you know, yeah. the obviously hero <laughs> yeah, of the day yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. No mystery. Quite literal in some senses. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and then we'll, we'll not get into your, uh, how do we say Let's this? Not, uh, no dislike of, of load and reload yeah. Thomas. um we we shall not address that check but out season one if you say like, um, yeah. exactly yeah yeah you can you can listen to all that back again listeners don't worry but i was interested when i found out that's also true about jason i wonder if that is something that they kind of bonded over when they first met and first kind of got to know each other mm-hmm. because i guess it's fairly common in that kind of age range like you said born in born in the 60s that kind of generation to have your parents be very strict and things like that but in in america as well that's quite a common thing i think we're we're in the uk here we're a bit more secular and things like that but yeah i wonder if that was that was a a big point for them kind of bonding over it because i always think that's an interesting thing for band members to kind of have in common is philosophical beliefs and theological beliefs and things like that. Mm, and it absolutely played a part in changing both of them. Like in Newstead's example, he seemed to kind of embrace church. And I think maybe Christian science kind of made James a little more inward maybe. But, you know, Tim Newstead, who was Jason's brother, uh, who, who was great copy, by the way, he was interviewed in So What? They did an actual issue on Jason and just all his family members talked to him. And it's, uh, you know, really great set of pages. But he would say, you know, they, they were a church family. Uh, you know, they would have the coffee hour between the worship service and the Sunday school. And Jason would be like eight, ten years old and he'd go down and mix with the adults. Like he's a very <laughs> confident young man. Like James wouldn't have Doesn't done that, I don't me. think. Yeah, like, like I said, I think they handled it. I totally agree with you. They, they probably handled it in very different ways. But I think the impression I get from James is that it became a negative thing that affected his relationship with them negatively and obviously we're not getting to Hatfield at this point but yeah. we will leave that for a much more in-depth um episode but towards the end of their lives there was a whole kind of thing between james and his very strict christian parents not accepting medication from what i understand and things like that whereas it seems like jason has had a lot more kind of positive relationship with his family in general and then in turn with his faith and with that that side of his um yeah, that side of his life. So I think that's, that's an interesting part. And you wouldn't think, like like I said, seeing that whirlwind of energy and metal on stage, like, oh, that's a nice church-going Christian boy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's because of it, though, that grounding. Like, he says later, like, he felt in part that the band couldn't process the grief of Cliff because they all lacked strong family structures that gave them mm. that space to, to mourn and grieve. But I think that's something they came to deal with when they started having families of their own, which is what we see from James and Lars in Some Kind of Monster, is that it's the bonding with... It's their bonding with their children as parents rather than their bonding with parents as children that kind of gives them that structure and gives them mm. that that release that they need, I think. But Jason's never had children, I don't think. No, not like... His no music off. is his child, I guess he would and, say and, to that answer, like... Yeah, I think band. I think I've heard him say something like that, and he's <laughs> very much said the new album. Yeah, his, his, okay. Um, but but 
but exactly, Jason. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my first son was called Just Justice. Yeah. My second son is called Black. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he kept horses with his dad. You know, a lot of people know this about Jason. One was called Champ. The other was QT. They're actually Arabian stallions. He was in four hate shows. Which apparently, like the Boy Scouts for the agriculture like Future Farmers of America, but quite quite the horseman. Before the four horsemen, he was quite the horseman. Oh, there we go, Tom. In come the puns. Well done, sir. Well done. He, he was a horseman long before he, he was, joined Metallica. He was. And uh, Bob, Bob was his dad. Tim and Greg were his brothers. You know, mentioned also that he was big into sports, apparently basketball, little league. He was the catcher on a team called the Tigers, tough, scrawny kind of kid. And like a lot of... <laughs> Like, Jack, I don't know about you, but, like, if I ever read, like, the origin of a rock star, it's like, yo, he moved to, like, six cities in six years. Like, they always seem to be, like, in transit. And he moves to a few places, Gull Lake, yeah. and which was actually just nine miles from Gibson's Guitar Michigan Factory. And that's where he got his uh, cool. first amp and bass from. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean about the, the rock right. stars moving around thing. It's always like a whether that's like a precursor to them being on the road on tour and like well i've done my fair share of traveling already kind of thing was like yeah i'm kind of stuck here in norwich <laughs> and <laughs> not exactly the most rock and roll of cities for american listeners out there. i just want you know it's so interesting to me and uh, thankfully with newstead there's quite a wealth of material here he speaks about this quite a lot you know the musicians that he loves and especially his early influence that he was getting into and he has and we always draw attention to this jack like in anyone's formation of musical taste when they're getting into bands and albums and whatever it's about that older brother older cousin friends brother sort of you know it's about that guardianship and you know he mentions his older brother's record collection a lot of funk a lot of James Jameson and Jackson 5, a lot of obscure funk bands that you mentioned as well. LTD, Love Togetherness Devotion from 1968. But money was scarce, times were so very hard. Yeah, strong innovation, determination. Put it all together, is that not the work of a God? Songs in your honor, all of us wanna, yes, we do. Wanna reach out and cradle your soul. interesting that jason has actually mentioned he's mentioned in the scuzz interview that like kind of the you know the real the benchmark of his own taste was gravitating towards that groove and he actually sing, sung a bit of blackened than if you remember to demonstrate how funky it, it was like yeah yeah it's this um like the singing of the yeah. bridge riff isn't it where he's making it and you're like, oh yeah, you take it out of context. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> super funky and cool. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like he just wanted to play bass. Like, had a guitar, took off the middle keys to the neck. It was one of those cheap instruments. 
always attracted to the bass for the reasons that we say that kind of that, that kind of jump yeah to i think i think having that having that sure. rooting funk and groove that's such a a bass driven genre I'm in general quite a, i don't know if this is too much of a leap but quite a sort of family-like instrument the bass like the bass player's there for everyone else really like I'd like, I'd like. Yeah, to think yeah, no, we you're are, a bass yeah, player, absolutely. of course. The, I mean, there's footage <laughs> have, of you yeah. um, it, covering "Creeping Death." You guys killed it, man. I watched that recently. There is, yeah, yeah. I I do the Newstead thing of That's singing right. the last verse as well, and I do do my very best Newstead impression. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, I, I totally agree with you. I think the bass has an interesting role in a band in that it's somewhere between, you know, it is a guitar, but it's also part of the rhythm section, and you're very much that kind of bridge between the two and i think that puts you like you said in that kind of center of the family for yeah. a better phrase like uh you're very much yeah. that middle middleman mm-hmm. the base and yeah. i think that was also that was very much jason's role in a lot of ways trying to make sure lars and james don't punch each other to death and on tour and stuff him and kirk are often the mediators as much as rob and kirk were in the early 2000s as well and i think you get that kind of yeah, that kind of groundedness comes from his upbringing and then carries on through and makes sense that he would, you know, gravitate towards bass rather than going, I'm going to be a front man or whatever. Right, right. Like. <laughs> I mean, you know, in Flotsam, he does kind of exhibit those tendencies, but you're right early on. I mean, he was interviewed by Guitar.com, actually, and they were saying, were you influenced anything other than rock? Mm. And he was saying, uh, I was into funk music and soul music because of where I was raised. Our town in Battle Creek, Michigan, was halfway in between Chicago and Detroit on the main highway. So you get lots of 45s for 12 cents down at the record store. Weird funk bands. My brothers were five and eight years older than me, so I got to hear a lot of stuff early. I heard Hendrix when I was nine, and a lot of that weird soul music. And That's a pretty yeah, cool experience. Yeah, oh my God, are you experienced? <laughs> fuck yeah, I'm fucking, you know, prepubescent over here. Like, fucking vibing out to Little Wing and yeah. shit. Like, different uh, funky garage music. So that was always probably close to my heart and maybe why i ended up playing bass as you know we keep getting back to he said that was pretty yeah. much his favorite type of music like obviously this is i think the flot sometimes he's like i love metal as well but i think this is his favorite type like yeah absolutely i think it's, it's at that point just before kind of like you said the, the flotsam era he starts to find the kind of motorhead and tigers of pantan and all that kind of stuff and starts gravitating towards the heavier side of things and i think motorhead is a topic we're going to come right. back to a few times in here because jason has such a clear you know sort of lineage from lemmy in his playing and his yeah. style in his kind of like yeah, just the way he presents himself maybe not like with the cowboy hat and everything like that but <laughs> but sometimes with the cowboy hat if we're talking yeah, load yeah. and reload but yeah yeah it kind of mentions like he he joined a local band called gangster of course. and he then started like <laughs> took a road trip ended up in arizona and that's as we mentioned the the traveling mm-hmm. of these musician types apparently and arizona is something i always kind of associate with jason that's very much somewhere he called mm-hmm. home for for the foreseeable future really he kind of really settled there and ended up yeah working in a few different places ended up joining up with um a few different drummers and jamming with local musicians and things like that and they finally decided to form a, a serious band and i think that was a that's a key transition for any young musician i think is when you go from jamming to being like actually no let's form a band let's try this mm-hmm. seriously and i think that's a that's a cool moment to have for any young musician and the fact that like we said yeah he traveled so far and has already <laughs> done a road trip and kind of like gone on that journey is so 
so interesting to have that kind of experience at such a young age. I'm fascinated as well by those those bands. Like, I don't know if this has ever hit you, Jack, but for me, listening to music, I'm very interested superficially in the stream count on an album or a band on Spotify or an artist. Mm. Just... Sure in a kind of snobbish way, like, is this obscure, da-da-da-da-da, and just kind of as a historian, like, hey, what is this? Is this cool? So obviously Flotsam and Jetsam <laughs> aren't one of those hugely celebrated Dokken-type bands out there, but they, you know, have a brush with fame through Newstead and become immortal through that. And I was really excited doing this episode to actually, you know, start looking into the band because, you know, you were mentioning that Newstead was getting into bands himself and, you know, him and the drummer would recruit musicians for dogs so actually what's cool is that um you know i i sent across to jack and it's in so what one of the so what issues sorry i can't remember exactly what but it's this kind of scribbled metallica scroll timeline of like all of jason's bands and cypress and this is weird to see isn't it considering the constriction that eventually would lead to him leaving like in their official magazine there's a double page splash about everywhere else he's been yeah, that is a weird thing. It's um, for the listeners. It's in uh, volume seven, volume seven, number three from the year two thousand. Uh, so what issue? So if you do want to go and dig that out from an archive somehow, uh, <laughs> yeah. eBay, please do. Yeah. It's it out is there. The, the PDF. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the dedicated the dedicated Newstead mm-hmm. issue, and I think it has been a key part of you and I forming of this course. episode. And Valuable. I think because it's so interesting to see, as you mentioned, you get the interviews with his brothers Tim and Greg. And you see a different side of Jason. And that timeline, as you said, is so weird mm. to just have that it's in. probably not uh, even recordings like, for a yeah, lot of those his... bands. Yeah, like Diamond and Gangster. I would assume no. not. Like, yeah, have you ever heard of a Gangster I've not. They don't even know like who's now. on the drums, actually. Uh, I, <laughs> Jason sings and plays back. There's a question mark <laughs> for drums there. But um, yeah, a lot of the timeline does carry on with the same guys as we get into Flotsam and Jetsam, who, you know, for their time were actually pretty fucking well celebrated. Like, you know, certainly over here as well, they were one of the handful of the only ever bands to receive a 6K rating from uh, our mag Kerrang over here. And, uh, you know... Ob- that, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, I think people... Kerrang's like the kind of definitive rock and metal yeah. magazine for so many years. So, yeah, that is that is a big deal. And Flotsam and Jetsam are an interesting thing. Like you said, they were kind of... In, in celebrated at the mm. time but obviously that's before you and i were around tom we're, we're <laughs> a similar yeah. age that this is before oh, yeah. our time but going back and listening to it and i know you've gone back and listened to their first album mm-hmm. as well getting into that kind of thing i was like this this is kind of holds yeah. up this sounds still oh. pretty good i'm yeah. impressed trust karang it's yeah. pretty cool
Yeah, you can That's trust Grant. It's worth it. It's worth it of a 6K <laughs> for some reason. But no, no, you are right. I think uh, Hammerhead, which had the video, um, you know, I'll play a bit of that now. And, you know, that is pretty punishing number, like long extended sections, yeah. like very bass led as well. Like I like the vibe. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really cool look into Jason's early earlier side of his bass playing and something as as you said earlier Tom we're going to talk about is like his gear and his playing style and things like that because he brings such a a definitive tone and aggression to his playing where he plays so hard and so vigorously and it's like yeah you can totally hear that driving through these songs as well and it's something you really hear on the other end of things in his band Newstead it's very much that <laughs> similar kind of yeah, the bass almost yeah. leading the way and kind of Absolutely. really tying in with the drums and driving the song forward in that way. And yeah, it was it was cool hearing an, an earlier version of, of Jason, but still being impressed by what he could bring to the table and, and what the other guys are doing as well. It's a really cool glimpse back into that era. And it's, it's not particularly a band I've ever really thought like, oh yeah, I should go and check them out. And then as soon as we talked about this episode, I was like, right, I need to get stuck into some Flotsam mm-hmm. and Jetsam. Well, I mean, yeah, they did obviously become something completely different post uh, Newstead, but you know, and I think um, I think his replacement was actually saying that someone else in the band was decrying when Newstead was in, like you know, wanting him back and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, they did kind of plumb to exclude, but they did have a, you know some cred, some celebration there. They were actually on Metal Massacre Seven. In 1986, if you remember Metallica are on the first one, shout out to Dave, we did an episode on that recently on the Alpha Metallica channel where we reviewed the whole tape, both editions, all that 80s fresh, we went through it, and uh, yeah, it was glorious, so um, Slagle was impressed, you know, by what he heard and actually signed the band to Metal Blade, and that's where we get Doomsday for the Deceiver, um, apparently the band renamed itself, so... It- what, what a metal fucking yeah, name as well. Right. Doomsday for the Deceiver, like it's vague as just, well. That's what makes it great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh man, yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> and it, like Flotsam and Jetsam is such a weird. That's, I feel like that's not a very metal not really, name for a band. No, it feels quite medieval and quite antiquated, <laughs> but it kind of works on its plosive name. But, but I agree, yeah, it's quite a quite an unusual name. It always makes me think of the eels from A Little right. Mermaid that accompany Ursula. That's the, the name of her oh, eels. Nice, nice. And I was like. What did, did they name themselves after the eels from Little Mermaid? Like having wow. being young and having no idea of the concept yeah. of timelines and stuff. Of like, no, they definitely didn't. But, <laughs> but I was I was pretty convinced for a couple of years that that was what was happening. Uh, apparently, from Tolkien's The Two Towers, uh, written, you know, after a song that they did for it. So um, yeah, that, that makes mm-hmm. a lot more sense. And, that's a that's a lot more metal. <laughs> and uh, Hammerhead that we played before that was from the Metal Shock demo. And, um, you know, apparently it was shot in Jason's apartment living room. And, uh, you know, it's quite a cool video, actually, that's put together. And uh, as we say, it was on the Metal Blade stuff like that. And there is uh, <laughs> there is some really good stuff out there, actually, of the band. Like, I love the comment on the Hammerhead video. And there's only one comment. And it's just saying, all the trues must love this. And it's got loads of likes. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> just people just, uh, just really enjoying it. And... Um, there's a uh, you know another mention as well of it uh, about kind of uh, modern Metallica being with Lou Reed and having no guitar solos and trash snare drum and that sort of stuff and how you know this is you know pretty much the direct antidote to that kind of thinking but um, still you know yeah. this ba- this 
the whole thing is out there and, you know, it appears in media around the world, uh, such as in the 1988 sequel, Sleepaway Camp 2, colon, Unhappy Campers, which was a sequel to quite a celebrated film, Sleepaway Camp. Um, are you um, familiar with this film at all? This not slasher? at all. I, I, I looked it up, but I have not watched it. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, apparently, yeah, <laughs> it turns up there. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's in the backdrop. But this album, again, is has a lot of you know nice moments to it absolutely and you know his writing is all over that and there's some just kind of quite long challenging songs in there like it really kind of does feel metallicery if that makes sense like certainly in how it gears towards its choruses but um i still think it's pretty excellently put together and as an insight into the burning intense creativity of Newstead at the time. You know, he was really doing so much on so many fronts. And I want to get into momentarily his his personal life, of course. I want to prize into that. But, you know, in terms of just these ideas that he was coming up with and really the authority he was stamping here and then yielding to Metallica, and, you know, rightly so, of course, but still it's insane, isn't it, that he went from doing everything to being a very small part of something Yeah, so I find that bigger. fascinating. And thinking back, like, he has three writing credits in the, what, 15 years nearly he was in that band. And it's a, it's a bizarre thing to think that... You, I kind of, again, like, my lack of knowledge first listened sure. to Metallica, I think, oh, he's just the bass player. He's the, you know, he's, he plays the bass, he does what he's told, whatever. He might come up with a few bass lines here and there, doesn't matter. But yeah, knowing that he came from that and then... Again, as I keep referencing, he kind of transitions to that later. He becomes a, a fairly big creative part of Echo Brain once he leaves Metallica, and is, um, naturally, the the titles, the, the clues in the title becomes the driving force of Newstead. The fact that he is a songwriter, I wonder if there's a bunch of like demo tapes and stuff he was just jamming out on tour buses while he was with Metallica Definitely. or whatever, just strum, strumming on a guitar in the back of the bus somewhere or you know recording something into a little tape deck or whatever like there must be some hidden gems in there somewhere that were in a way like long lost flotsam and jetsam songs or long lost chop house songs yeah. or whatever it would be he did stuff like that it's yeah. really interesting like he you did. said he, yeah the, the fact that he kind of yielded to metallica is an interesting thing and i wonder if that that is kind of the yeah. how, how, how do you put it kind of the the foreshadowing mm-hmm. of him leaving the band in that way is that restraining of his creativity eventually became too much and that was kind of what the famously what the big fracture was eventually down the line you know it's the echo brain that broke the camel's back and <laughs> really <laughs> so... okay can we make that phrase <laughs> so um no no straws on the camel's back it's echo brains on the camel's back now that's the rule so as we approach <laughs> jason joining metallica you know i want to spend a lot of time focusing on the audition which I think is just a fascinating moment in history. And, uh, you know, it was really fun reading up on all of that. Jason, of course, like anyone else, was a diehard Metallica fan. Like, you know, died in the wall, (laughs) true. Give Lars the set list at the audition. I know all of these songs, like, you know, really gone out of his way. Like, just just, just knew them. Like, you know, there's a song called Fade to Black on Doomsday for the Deceiver. I think that's a coincidence, but I wonder how that got past Newstead. I wonder... (laughs) I don't really know why he let that happen, but um, it's not cover. So they had a song called Fate to Bite for any reason. So, but Jason, of course, was obsessed with Metallica. Um, but like any red-blooded male, he's obsessed with Metallica and women. And uh, Lauren Collins was an ex-girlfriend. Like she met at a gig, a Flotsam and Jetsam gig at the Bootlegger. Apparently, 
<laughs> Apparently, he made eye contact with her as she entered, and he said on mic, "There's some really good-looking girls in the audience tonight." And he looked straight at her as he said it. <laughs> That's not a bad Jason impression, dude. I'm, I'm no, impressed. No. Uh, apparently, he went straight up to her and asked if she wanted to go on a date, and they didn't go out a lot. They obviously did start going out because money was tight. You know, she was in college. He spent most of his free time writing or practicing. They both drank a lot. Um, apparently he was still a gentleman back then you know we still got the real the, the horse breeder you know the, the thoroughbred human Jason Newsett over there you know um, he's trying to make it big he had a job picking up electrical waste at different construction sites I mean they were riding the lightning he was hey, fucking recycling there we it God, you're, you're on fire tonight with the puns mate <laughs> he would, um... I'm, I'm recycle, recycle the lightning and echo the <laughs> echo brain that broke the camel's back Apparently he would... Good Lord, we need to start making a, a Tom Quee Let's dictionary, go. I think. Someone do it, someone do it. Uh, <laughs> we'll put it on the Patreon. He would uh, he would wait outside a house every weekday morning in his huge truck, his huge electrical waste truck to see her off to school. Apparently it arose every day. I mean, she was only 17. This is it's very sweet. I mean, he, he, like I said, from the interviews and stuff down through the years of him being a Metallica and, and even more so since he left, I think, you can really get the impression he's a he's a good dude. He's a nice guy. He's always been kind of down to earth and, like you said, salt of the earth from from his upbringing and then through how he treats his friends, how he treats his partners. Like it, it totally on brand. That makes sense. And I love the little quote from <laughs> you mentioned Laura and the ex girlfriend there. Um, them kind of making out in his truck outside mm-hmm. her house and. He's just blasting Killer Mall because, <laughs> of course, he is. And she couldn't listen to that album ever again because it brings back memories of being with Jason. Like, oh, if that doesn't, you know, sum up every teenage mm-hmm. metalhead in the world, I don't know what does. Crazy. <laughs> just as anesthesia plays. Could be more romantic. I'll bring you a rose and a tape copy yeah. of Killer Mall. Oh my god. Um, yeah, she, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's just, it, it really, you know, it cannot be believed because he was there. Um, I think he'd seen Cliff before and they left before Ozzy came on. Like, you know, there was no point. Like, <laughs> But yeah, he, I think he, you know, he worshipped Cliff as everyone did. And um, I was going to um, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it again goes without saying. So, you know, we get to the very sad point where, you know, we have the audition and we have the decision uh, to move on after after the crash. And, you know, Lars would say that the spirit of the band had always been about fighting on against everything they've run into. And Cliff, more than anyone else, would have been the first guy to give us a kick in the ass. I wouldn't want us to sit around. And, uh, you know, the bass player search first came through Brian Slagle. Apparently a few weeks after Cliff died, Lars called him and told him they needed a bass player. He said the obvious choice was Joey Vera of Armored Saint. I'm not. I'm not familiar with him. Do, do you? Know I do. Him yeah, I, I've listened to Armored Saint a fair bit over the years, mm. and I would never think to like. Oh, I'd recommend Joey right, from Armored right, Saint. Right. Like, I would never be like, oh yeah, he totally fit into Metallic thing. Maybe it's a personality thing. He's he's a great player. Mm. Don't get me wrong, but nothing like really stood out as like, a, oh yeah, he's totally the successor to Cliff Burton that you need. So I found it really interesting that. Like as you said, Brian Slager was so quick to recommend him, and then uh, another kind of tie to Armored Saint is that John Bush was also supposed to be the singer yeah. in the band at one point, 
so it's a weird kind of they keep crossing paths in certain ways and and armored saint are one of those bands there's a weird kind of maybe they kind of should have been in the big four kind of thing they've got obviously got the ties to anthrax with john bush and and that side of things but yeah armored saint are cool but i would never have thought made that connection without knowing it was there if that makes sense and he turned down yeah. the gig it turns out <laughs> to, to to stay in armored saint and continue the the band and dream he'd kind of mm-hmm. built already and that makes sense and yeah they turned to auditioning a hell of a load of people dozens and dozens About of bass 60, players apparently. went through the doors yeah. yeah that's crazy and i i would love to see in the same way that there's some kind of monster rob auditions I would love to see all the random dudes of like, oh hey, that's that guy from that yeah. band. And, oh hey, that's the guy from that mm-hmm. band. But but done thirty years later in sure. the eighties, that would be so cool to see that kind of the the retro version of that it's scene. Like Michael Anthony <laughs> from Van Halen audition, like yeah, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, Fred Cotton was there. You know, he's a member of Spastic Children, which is sort of the the you know kind of juvenile. Uh, James and Cliff side project over there with affiliate members and he was there and he said I watched every bass player that auditioned apart from Jason and you know the notorious stories Jack that he confirms about you know people not even getting halfway through a song and you know there was uh, the guy who came from coast to coast with his makeup and his friend oh, you know yeah the the, the mm-hmm. poor guy the the famous coast to coast bass player <laughs> that guy that oh my that god he's <laughs> let's know let's do a, let, let's review a coast song to, coast to coast audi- audition man <laughs> are we going to ask him to come on yeah. and like play for us and see if he can still bust out a you know <laughs> bust out a bass solo do anesthesia right now like, yeah it's a, it's a crazy thing of having to audition so many people and i know a lot of people talk about how difficult it was for them and as you mentioned i think jason here makes a, a really interesting point of like the guys just didn't mourn cliff in in the right way for them necessarily i don't know in like I, i'm obviously speaking for the band there and i don't, I don't sure. necessarily want to do that but it seems like they were just kind of throwing everything to the wind and it's literally like weeks after cliff's death i don't think that's a they let it kind of sink in enough but yeah, auditioning sixty people. It's those must be, must have been grueling for the guys, and just you can totally imagine Lars being like, "Okay, next," and the guy just hits like three wrong notes. Dum dum dum. Yeah. Like, nope, next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just being absolutely brutal because they must have been. They must have been. Um, uh, as we'll talk about, Jason was so much Jason new kid for so yeah. long, even a decade into his run in Metallica, he was still the new guy, still kind of going through the hazing and all, all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine the brutality of those early auditions of just people not lasting two minutes. And I've come all this way and my mom told me it was my dream to be in the band. And they're like, next, see you later, kid. I should imagine them being absolutely brutal. And, you know, apparently there are maybe some recordings out there. Like, we have a few recordings from these sessions. But, you know, like Fred Cotton says, he was recording most of them. And James would actually say that, you know, fans were it was just fans coming in and auditioning. And some would just want to audition just to say that they auditioned for Metallica. And obviously that got really old. And... Again, that, that happened in the 2000s yeah, as course. well. That was very much what happened. <laughs> People just showing up 
barely able oh, I mean, to play there's base. Some horrible... Who's that dude with that neon fretboard? Like, that guy sucks. Oh, like... f- fuck off. Fuck off, yeah, that guy. Come fuck, on. man. Struggling through <laughs> fucking bells or whatever. Like, yeah. Very, very oh, static. God. And um, a lot of recorders were smashed, Hetfield says, in a lot of faces as well. <laughs> but, you know, it's not to say that there weren't successes over there or, or certainly promising stuff along with Newstead, uh, Tony Gregory and Laz Rockets, Willie Lang. Um, you know, Gregory is the person I mentioned before who actually went on to uh, replace Newstead. He was also in Industrial Frash Merchants Prong. And. The Prong. Do you know Prong? I know by name, but. Yeah. I do, yeah. They came up on a, another podcast that is in the called the Thrash It mm. Out podcast. And uh, yeah, I've kind of gotten into them fairly recently. They're not my favorite band but they've got some interesting yeah they've got some interesting things and i think you can hear a lot of that influence weirdly enough in jason i think you can hear that kind of like you said industrial thrash like new metal kind of vibes going through and kind of carrying on through the legacy of of metal in in various ways but yeah they, they didn't blow me away, but it's an interesting little... Again, there's so many connections to, oh, it's this guy from this band, and they asked that guy, and then he came, and he didn't... Mm. It's so interesting seeing the the web that they weaved with these auditions. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it really is a legendary uh, set of sessions. And Tony Gregory would say that, you know, he didn't even go to audition properly. He just went into San Fran, didn't even have a bass. And he was outside <laughs> the, you know, the venue with seven other bassists and a rep announced that they're only going to see one more person that day. And he announced from the back of the line that if these fuckers don't audition me, they'll be making a grave mistake. And the guy <laughs> laughed. Uh, apparently, he's called Aiden, maybe. And uh, he went in. And Lars and Kirk were on the couch, and he plugged in. And James came in and helped him figure out the amp setup. And they played Master and Sanitarium. And apparently, he did well. And Metallica appreciated the laid back nature of this Detroit native. And they talked for a bit. Lars gave him his number. And when he was leaving, they actually asked him to come back in, and they jammed more, and he suggested... That must have been cool. Yeah, yeah, oh my god, yeah, holy fuck, like, and they just, yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all just tuning up, like, what, and they, you know, they say, what do you want to play? And he said Trapped Under Ice, which they oh, started, but apparently James forgot the chords, and Kirk found this funny. What a weird choice. Yeah. Like, um, what song would you love to play? Oh, yeah, Trapped Under Ice, says... <laughs> No one ever. <laughs> James's hands are on the cords <laughs> yeah. for bells, and it's like, what? Okay, well, yeah, um... <laughs> yeah. And I think they kind of ties into a lot that you know the the mindset that they're in and the place that they're in. There was they were the the, the party boys as well. They mm-hmm. were very much in that kind of mindset all through the eighties and nineties. And as a Tony said, he he looked. 14 despite the fact he was 19 he didn't drink he was super like clean cut and stuff and then uh yeah they they said they kind of decided on someone and he was invited to the first show Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's interesting seeing those kind of yeah the other possibilities the what ifs the parallel universes that could have happened in this band and in some bands you just don't get that you don't get that you know, changing of the guard, changing of a, a pivotal member or whatever. But I would be fascinated to see where it went if, you know, Joey from Armored Saint or Tony Gregory or whoever ended up in this in this version of Metallica. 
yeah, I think I think you really had to have an iron will to exert any sort of push into any different direction. And Newstead didn't even really do that with Metallica when he was in it. Yeah, he was and he's the most. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's the hard ass iron will motherfucker, mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. just got he got he's three. Fu- he's fucking credits. tamed an Arabian <laughs> stallion. Like he can deal with Hetfield. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Apparently not. No, well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> His wrangling days are over, but uh, Lang. Um, Lang as well that I mentioned before, the other guitar player, uh, you know, good time again, came back, atmosphere changed, apparently there were Flotsam and Jetsam stickers everywhere, <laughs> so he, <laughs> he, he kind of figured out what happened, and, um, you know, they'd already decided at this point, but they still played a whole set together, and went out for dinner and drinks, James got fucked up, Lars and Kirk were quiet. You know, they said the Japan shows were upcoming. They need to make a decision soon. Like, at least the guys have some form of twisted etiquette, I suppose. Yeah, that's a weird way of doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's go play a set at this club. Let's play a whole night. Then... I don't think that he was at a club, maybe. It might have just been under practice conditions. but uh, Maybe, um, maybe. But yeah. still, he was really bummed about the news. You know, he said he would, oh, wake, he would wake up from the same dream <laughs> and he was in Metallica and he was hanging oh, out. And, oh, my like, God. Imagine. And the, Can you imagine? the dreams apparently lasted until 2003. He was invited to... <laughs> so, so decades. Like so many dreams oh of Metallica fans. Yeah. <laughs> so he's invited to listen to St. Anger. And he said, quote, We hung out while Lars and Bob Rock did a little work. Then we went to a bar in San Rafael and closed it down. After that, we went back to HQ and listened and talked. Lars then said something that made the nightmares go away for good. He said, looking back, that he wished they would have picked me. Fucking hell. Mm. Brutal. You didn't mean Lars. that, Lars. What? Why? Yeah. <laughs> from this one audition. Lars, Lars can be a dick. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's just pandering, yeah. He, he's, he's just, yeah. He's he's playing that up, mm-hmm. isn't he? Let's be honest. It's the it's the kind of thing of, with, I think that's, that's Lars kind of being, being very Lars about it. And especially if it's in 2003, again, seems like the Metallica boys don't necessarily handle change and departures of band members particularly well so i think that was maybe lars lashing out at jason a little bit and being like well this guy fucked us over so maybe if we'd picked you we wouldn't have gotten fucked over kind of thing and uh you know did you get a chance to listen to jason's audition for metallica you better believe i did absolutely
were blessed really to have this document to listen to you know the first real dalliances and encounters between jason the band and jason becoming part of metallica like he plays the fuck out of this audition man he plays like someone who wants <laughs> this fucking thing he's hungry man it's awesome absolutely yeah you re- like i said you get that energy from jason straight away from day one he, he fucking brings it and gets stuck in mm-hmm. and oh the i am you mentioned like his his version of creeping death earlier like creeping death sounds great on this and that's from the, the you got the audio from two auditions mm-hmm. and from the second audition he just sounds rock solid sounds fantastic yeah. and even even you know audio quality is not not ideal but it, it's still still listenable still doable and uh yeah yeah i think battery and creeping death are the highlights of the the audition for me mm-hmm. what did you what did you kind of do you think it was interesting going back and hearing such an early version of that it was insane that the, he the, added the, notes as well he yeah he, he did yeah. his own flourish his little on it, yeah. fills and stuff mm-hmm. that was audacious <laughs> that yeah. shows his confidence yeah yeah exactly that's that's a bold choice to not and i think a, maybe that's something that helped james and lars respect him in that way yeah. because he was willing to take that shot and do a do something a bit different and a bit bold because i think so many people are not only intimidated by the fact that it's metallica but you're stepping into maybe the biggest bass playing shoes in the world at that point mm-hmm. like the hendrix of bass has just yeah. died and they're like hey do you want to come and replace jimmy hendrix you're like no no i don't that's terrifying yeah i think uh, maybe some people were a bit too coy and kind of stuck in that we're gonna play cliff's lines note for note and god forbid if we do anything wrong and then Jason rocks up, first of all, and Lars and, and James talk about this a lot in the uh, Some Kind of Monster video as well, like I mentioned. He plays with a pick, and he hits it in a complete... He plays in such a different way to Cliff. It's like they like they were never in the same band. Mm. It's such a weird kind of shift in style. But I think the, the, the power of Hetfield's right hand and Newstead's picking technique is just unmatched in anything else because cliff and his relationship with the music is something totally different to jason's but the especially stuff on like the black album and stuff like that you really get the the riffs being driven by james and jason's match picking techniques and he, he seemed to be about the only person who can kind of keep up with hetfield in that way yeah and you know it came down ultimately to slagle in terms of jason getting into the band you know the label of flotsam and jetsam and he had reservations about fragmenting the lineup but obviously felt Metallica deserved the best and it was you know a real kind of insane thing to come out and they eventually had what Lars called the drink test after the two audition days and uh, (laughs) you know eventually it ended up with him James and Kirk in the toilet pissing together and they were standing there at three in the morning out of their faces in a line not saying anything and uh, Lars just said, without looking at anyone, that's him, right? And the other guy said, yeah, that's him. <laughs> and that was it. That is the most 80s Metallica thing in yeah. the world. The, <laughs> mid-piss. The, you know, yeah, mid-piss, 10 drinks in, like <laughs> three in the morning. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. And I, I like they kind of bring that. It adds to the kind of mythology of it all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like there was that destiny moment, that kind of this is the one and they all reach the epiphany at the same time kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's a cool moment. It must've been cool for, for them to kind of find someone they were comfortable with and, yeah. and settle into that 
the new version of that band. And, uh, you know, a cool little tidbit that I found in the old So What was Jason's brother, older brother Tim. He said, my youngest son Michael was born on October 27th, 1986, and that was the very day Jason was asked to join the band and sign the contract. My whole family was up to visit us at the hospital to see this new baby. We got back to my house and turned on cable TV, flipped it over to MTV, and we saw on MTV News the Metallica logo, and this announcer saying Metallica have a news bass player and his name is Jason Newstead. That must have been party at the Newstead house. Holy like that man. is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that is. Oh yeah, our son is now in one of the biggest bands in the world. Mm. We have a new son, a new yeah. member of the family, and just cements that date as like such an important date in the family. And like I said, because he's so close to the band, and then so close to his family, that must have been such an amazing dynamic for him to bring mm-hmm. those two worlds together and have that kind of synchronicity between the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, it was just a uh, kind of he really is the golden ticket, like you know, and uh, he, he took it, he took it with both hands. And Jason would discuss the big upheaval that went down after he discussed his decision to uh, to quit the band, the Flotsam and Jetsam band. He said it was a pretty weird night. I handed everything over. I had piles laid out of all the fan club stuff. So again, Jason, the treasurer, he's saying the money. And I just handed it over. I went, here you go. They asked their questions about song copyrights and so on. And I gave them all the answers I could tell them. I hope they understand what I was doing and to know that I would always be behind them. And I still am behind them to this day. Uh, they played their last gig of him on Halloween 1986. And they kind of, you know, went their own way. Did an Elton John cover a few years later. Saturday night's all right for fighting. And... You know, just got less thrashy, more proggy, and kind of just, you know, plumbed out in obscurity. But for for Jason, it was, um, you know, I don't know. It was, it was fucking Metallica. Like, what can you say? Exactly, yeah. Pretty much any... I say that, as we just talked about Joey from Armored Saint turning them down. But I was about to say, if anybody asks you to be a Metallica, you don't say no. But apparently some people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's that... you You can't really say like hey man what the fuck do you think you're doing considering you've been asked to join metallica like you can't really you know have a go at him for doing that so it's good to know that he kind of left on pretty good terms with them and yeah it's it's a weird kind of like you said very much after he left it's it's nothing you particularly need to pay attention to unless you're a diehard flotsam fan so it's a shame but i think it kind of it kind of makes sense and obviously, Cliff Burton's parents were there, you know, during the announcement. And I want to say, rest in peace to Ray Burton as well. Absolutely, you know, yeah, a, a yeah, g- gentleman and um, you know, a wonderful human being. And it was, you know, it was an honour uh, to speak to him as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, rest in peace to him. And you know, they were there, and you know, they were saying, you know, so that he would know that he was carrying on their son's legacy and to pass Cliff's torch on. And, uh, you know, it was a real emotional moment when the band broke the news to Mo- uh, to Newstead. Burton's mother actually hugged him tightly and said, you're the one, please be safe. And Newstead's first That's... live performance was at the Country Club in Reseda, California. And I don't know if you saw, there's a show after that. I need to just find out exactly when the date is. But there's a moment during Master when the electrics go and Newstead oh, yes. leads this giant sing-along a cappella, like, and James is, like, impressed, you can tell, like, the the, <laughs> the, the crowd are just ravenous. Of course, of course. That, that's Jason, and that must have been such a powerful moment for him to have, the, you know, like you said, the Burton family kind of mm. literally give him their blessing yeah. in that way, and then 
like I said, maybe it is that boldness that he brought to the table of being able to step up and be like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it and just keep the crowd going with this song while we sort out our electrical. <laughs> One regret with Metallica is that I never saw them with Jason live. I've only seen them since Rob joined the band. Yeah, me too. And I would just, I would just absolutely love to have seen him in, in their in their prime in nineties, and just be, or even like S and M or something like that. Being at that the first S and M show would have just been absolutely insane and just amazing. And you know, this is uh, the section of the show that we're gonna gloss over to a slight extent because you know we have discussed all this stuff in past episodes and uh but you know he um was on the 598 ep of course and justice the murky bass sound uh you know the black album the hazing like there's just there's so many avenues uh for us to explore uh you know of course alone like he 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 was just ultimately he was there like cliff is the founding member don't get me wrong and cliff really fashioned the soul of metallica to this day and, and their ultimate identity but before you get the angry fanboys he's not the founding member that's ron mcgovney yeah 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 but i mean like in terms of the <laughs> i'm, jo- I'm yeah, joking yeah. with you talk uh but actually just wait for the angry we should do a ron mcgovney again. episode next <laughs> like real in depth do you want to like, yeah. Tack it, tack it onto the end of maybe, this, and we'll do it in about maybe ten minutes. Actually, wow. Okay, and um, no, no, just no, just a Ron. But I mean, come on, shower Ron, shower Ron. <laughs> but ultimately, with the release of the Black Album, when Metallica go mainstream and really enter a higher plane of existence, a quite pioneering run, you know, in that stadium run, and just how they. Yeah, how massively popular they're getting, really, how ubiquitous they're getting. It was Newstead there. It it, it was Newstead at the coalface, you know. 
Mm, absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's a weird thing if he really comes into his own in that era because, as you mentioned, there's no base on injustice for all. So there's really not a place for Jason to be dr- the driving force of anything, really. And when he finally kind of, for one better phrase, steps out of the shadows and becomes this significant part and the bass sounds fucking amazing on the Black Album, man. Like, just take, like, wherever I may roam or through the never, like, his tone and the way his notes ring out and stuff like that, it's just fucking fantastic and it sounds amazing. And to kind of touch on the gear and stuff that he was using in that time like he started off and he literally picked up cliff's rig where he left off basically he said he described it as like the amp was still warm from the last time cliff had played it kind of thing and that was that was the amp they used in the audition but like a couple of other amps he used were literally just picking up cliff's rig uh the the famous aria pro bass that cliff played for so many years that's also the one jason kind of tagged along and had that as one of his tour bases around the justice era he branched out into the five string for the first time which is something i kind of always associate with jason he was kind of the first guy i ever saw playing a five string bass he's not the first metal bass player to do that but i think he very much popularized that with young musicians and people getting into metal through metallica and stuff like that and he had a Wow, which you may know if you're a Tool fan, that is the brand that Justin from Tool plays as well. Uh, a Mark II from them, which is a really fantastic bass, especially in the 80s era of that of that uh, that company. And we didn't hear any of that shit. So no, <laughs> none of none of that matters. Um, he then kind of branched out, as you mentioned, for the Black album. He started kind of branching out and doing his own thing, of course suddenly he has money to spend on stuff and while well, he did touch on a couple of spectre bases um they're still around as well still respectable bases and stuff like that they went a bit mental with the black album and if anyone's seen a year and a half in the life of metallica or even like just clips from like the nothing else matters video you can see like five or six different instruments each from james's like gretch white falcon that big semi-acoustic thing to 12 string guitars to jason playing an eight string bass Mm. at one point and playing fretless bass on nothing else matters which is yeah which is uh again to to kind of tie into other bands you you might be more familiar with that kind of thing from pearl jam if you think of jeff from pearl jam you think the the intro to jeremy that kind of ding 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 that's the sound of an eight-string bass. You've got the the low sound and the high sound ringing out together. And I think the most perfect example of that from Jason is that really big... And I always kind of wondered what this was. In the Wherever I Am My Room, that opening... That big, like, booming e-note is Jason, like, hitting an eight-string bass basically as hard as he can because that's what Jason does. Um and that kind of it's, it's weirdly experimental for a band that produced the best-selling metal album of all time. Yeah. And yeah, it's a weird kind of thing to for Jason to kind of go from fairly like standard meager stuff to like I assume that's Bob Rock's influence and in bringing in all this crazy shit and let, let's mm-hmm. just try anything. We have 
all the money in the world let's just throw it at all the gear in the world this was and see on what Doctor happens. feel good i think let's just put it on there. Yeah, exa- fucking exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is they probably use this on a track let's let's why not and bob rock probably has bases lying around yeah. in his studio and all that kind of stuff um i think the interesting thing is when he starts doing his signature series and that's just around the sort of uh, wherever we roam tour kind of black album tour mm. and he starts partnering with a company called alembic which is a base company i'm not particularly familiar with no. because they're incredibly fucking expensive oh right okay yeah. <laughs> that i've never played one because i can't yeah. <laughs> uh they are sort of we're talking thousands of dollars per right. base here and he had about 12 or 13 of them made over the years and he would just give them the specs and they would build it for him. Uh, so we're probably talking like 10 grand a base at this point. And he would just, you get to pick the wood, you pick the the pickups, you pick the what the wood of the fretboard is, you, even like existing shapes, they would carve out and change the shapes to fit his picking style differently and stuff like that. They were building these things from scratch by hand, by like master luthiers. And I think that says a lot about Jason's love of that instrument. Yeah. He was just like, I need these things built from scratch. And then he really, really loved those things. I, do, do you know much about Alembic bases? Tom, yeah, I just, like um, I just looked it up now just to see what they look like. But They're, yeah, they've got a... Um, weird, weird fucking Yeah, thing, they've got a kind of strat shape, thing. kind of a bubbly strat shape, haven't they? Yeah, with a weird little like horn and tail mm. and like this weird little curvy bit. Yeah. And, and I don't like the look of them personally. That and that's no, and that's also retro. not the base I associate Jason with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they feel very kind of seventies, eighties. Yeah, um, Stan, Stanley Clark, the legendary sure. bass player, is kind of known for using those as well. They're kind right. of, as you can imagine, in the, in the top top tier of bases mm. when people are getting these ten grand bases custom made. You're going to be talking about some of the best players in the world. Um, I think Victor Wooten and a few other bass players have kind of used them over the years. But the basses I always associate with Jason, and this is further down the line now, is Sadowski. And if you think of Jason, you probably picture him with something that looks like the the typical Fender precision kind of look. Mm. The the black thing with the white pick guard or the white with the black pick guard or whatever it is. Four strings, five strings. All different kinds of stuff. You think um, in Cunning Stunts, he goes through a few of these different bases. He yeah, plays yeah. it on S and M. He plays it uh, all, all the music videos, pretty much <laughs> for for that era. For through Load, Reload, even I Disappear. Um, he's playing Sadowski basses in that as well, and that's very much where he settled for pretty much the rest of his career. From what I understand, from the recording sessions at Newstead and Echo Brain as well, they're very much the bases he carried on and. To add to the pile of incredibly expensive custom bases he already had, he had 20 of the Sadowski ones made. And there, again, you're talking five grand or more, and that's a base model. So you imagine Jason is paying a fair bit more than that. So, yeah, they're always the ones I associate with Jason. Is there a particular vibe or look that you think of when you picture Jason on stage? Ah, not especially. You mean just... Instrument wise or hair wise or a bit of both, yeah. mixed to match. Why not yeah, build, yeah. build your own Jason Newston? I kind of don't really know the uh, names of bases really, but it's more the uh, light body <laughs> maple neck kind of um, jazz headstock. That, that, that's 
that's the Sadowski's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the yeah. image. That... If if it looks like if it looked like a Fender, it's almost certainly Jason playing a Sadowski because he described them in interviews as like a Fender on steroids. It, it mm. captures the tone, and he owns this uh, like legendary bass in the the 1958 Precision, which is one of the the early early Fender models that is kind of renowned as the thing that defined electric bass playing and he based his a lot of his designs and stuff off a version of the 58p bass that he has and just modernized it and gave it super cool Mm. top of the line electronics and super powerful pickups and stuff and just turned took without taking a you know irreplaceable guitar on the road with him he built these amazing custom versions of it and just built all these as he calls them turbo fenders to take on the road with him (laughs) Which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, in terms of his Metallica output, there's five things, essentially. Um, obviously, three things that he wrote and just two live things as well. So there's Blackened, of course, My Friend of Misery. Then we have the bass-slash-guitar solo on uh, Live Shit Binge and Purge, Where the Wild Things Are on Reload, and then the bass-guitar dude on Cunning Stunts, which is essentially a medley of uh, My Friend of Misery and Welcome Home Sanitarium. Like... Blackened Alone, I mean, easily one of the greatest Metallica songs, and he wrote most of it. Yeah. Well, kind of like, the, the organs kind of, of it, like, you know, obviously Hetfield did a lot as well, but kind of the discerning riffs. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you don't have that song without James Hetfield, obviously, yeah. without his sure. his un- undeniable yeah. right, right-hand right technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But the fact that Newstead is... I, I didn't... For years, I had no idea that, that was a thing. And Blackened had always been one of my favorite ones. And I was like, why do I love this song so much? This is so, like, it's, but it's by far my favorite song on Justice. It's, like you yeah. said, like, most people consider it one of the best Metallica songs ever. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a Newstead song. That's, yeah. that's awesome. What a thing to have as Definitely. a credit to your name. And then to do, I mean, completely weird, diverse stuff and then go out and make some of the most badass riffs like the the main riff and you touched upon earlier tom the bridge riff mm. is just that amazing brilliant brilliant combination of rhythm and groove and and kick-ass metal all blended into one yeah. and then to go from that to the like super quiet melodic almost thoughtful intro and middle section of my friend of misery that that droning kind of low notes with the little melody played on the high notes mm. and oh man that, i love that so yeah. much and it's, it really nice. really shows jason's diversity mm-hmm. as a songwriter i think yeah it definitely does and then where the wild things are isn't as outwardly kind of maybe riff or motif driven um you know it's quite a curiosity though like quite a unique sound in the metallica canon i think there yeah you have the the mid late bit with the which is driven like Jason comes in a few bars early with that really high on the bass like really far down the neck and uh, I think maybe that's his kind of contribution there was that middle eight riff which again not to be too much of a fanboy but is my favourite bit of that song Mm. by A Country Mile and that that song's fine but that bit is is my favourite bit for sure um obviously the listeners know how you feel about sure. <laughs> where the it's wild things are yeah. 
yeah yeah we we know tom don't worry Catch the episode and uh the episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly this is an excuse for your listeners to go back and check out the episodes they missed and uh yeah i, I love the fact that we're talking about bass and guitar doodles at this point because when i got the cunning stunts dvd when i was what i must have been 15 or 16 or whatever it was at the time and just i just obsessed over that moment and again it's his melodic playing and stuff and he starts off this beautiful little riff line whatever you want to call it little solo and Amidst all this crazy metal stuff, it goes so quiet and it is just spotlight Jason. He sits down on the stage mm-hmm. and it's just him and his bass for yeah. a couple of minutes. And it's this, I, I, I just found it really powerful when I was, when I was a kid, like yeah. just starting to learn bass. And I was like, holy shit, everyone is listening to the bass player. He is the yes. guy. And he would often do the kind of like, um, creeping death a die die riff he would go off yeah you know and all that kind of stuff but he never really got to show his like original side of things apart from the couple of writing credits he had so i always thought that was a really like a really special moment to see him do that little the noodle there Mm -hmm. and get that in and is is that do you remember that moment being were you expecting that kind of thing from from Metallica in the nineties? Uh yeah, I remember having the Cunning Stunts DVD. You're pretty much the same age as you, maybe a little bit younger, but but yeah, no, that doodle especially to me appealed because it was quite easy digestible. It's quite shape driven and it's kind of got quite a pensive nature to it that I definitely appreciate. And you are right, the spotlight on Newstead there is, uh, you know, pretty picturesque, really. And uh, I really, really do enjoy watching that. And that, you know, only a few years later was his last live show as Metallica's bassist. That was November 30th at the uh, My VH1 Music Awards. So Newstead then leaves Metallica in January 2000. Well, kind of before that, but, you know, officially uh, there's a meeting there and Echo Brain is discussed. And as we said before, you know, this is really a turning point. Um, Our friends at Mellow Your Podcast recently did an Echo Brain episode. I'm not saying they stole our thunder, but, you know, uh, guys consult me maybe first. But we are here now and having listened to the album, which is uh, great. So they go through, sorry, on their episode for the album. Um, And I hadn't really listened to it properly, Jack. But in terms of listening to the episode and, and the music as a result, like... It's quite like alternative grungy. Like, yeah, I don't know. I expected it, it to sa- almost be. Sounds like a. Yeah. Sorry. Come no, on. I just, I always expected to be kind of like a, I don't know, dunderheaded new metal or something like. I think what you expected is Newstead heavy metal music. I think that is. Yeah. I was, I was that, too early. That's, yeah. That, that's, that's exactly what, what everyone expected. Oh, Jason's left to start a band. No shit. He's going to be, do the most heavy metal thing he possibly can oh no wait huh this is like you said kind of uh i don't know like post grunge early 2000s alternative kind of it's kind yeah. of jane's addiction it's kind of alice in chains yeah. like i'd, I'd listen i listened to a couple of times uh before our, our pals that metal up your podcast came in and swooped it out from under sure, us sure. screw you clinton <laughs> and how dare you steal our thunder 
I love you guys. Don't worry. And uh, yeah, I, I was fascinated to to see what they would or to hear what Clinton and Ethan would think because they have very diverse tastes between the two of them. And I always thought like, oh, this is kind of cool. And listening to their thoughts actually made me appreciate it a bit more. And I was like, because obviously those guys being professional musicians brought a different take to it because I hadn't listened to it in probably. 10 years something like that and hadn't really thought much of it it's like oh this is cool it's not the news that i want that's fine and then yeah kind of uh made me re-listen and appreciate a bit more had you had you listened to echo brain much before the metal Lumpy podcast guys kind of mentioned not it really not really no and it did strike me as surprising when i heard them uh, and, and the genre they were going for kind of a splashing and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but I think you have to take oh, it as insulting. There we go. A, a, a little bit of puddle of mud in there, just just a tiny bit. Ow, dare you, sir. But I still think they, uh, yeah, they weren't bad. But one of the things that I want to talk about is the fact that you know Newstead is about constantly making music, and he really has been on that credo. Uh, it seems since he departed from Metallica with Echo Brain, etc. But the first on-stage appearance he had since leaving Metallica, um, this was in May 2001, was with the Moss Brothers, who I am so grateful that I did Alpha Metallica and in turn started to research about them. Because I've known for this band for a while, uh, through doing like, I did a Side Projects episode a little while ago, where I went through all the members and what they've been in and stuff. And I discovered these guys uh, I don't really know what like what the story is, but they're basically like two like eight year olds who play this really lo fi moldy peaches kind of <laughs> beat happening. I don't know if people know that band, but that sort of like primitive, the fugs, almost tuneless but endearing thing. And they write about like um, you know kissing grandma and going to school and playing sports, and you know it's all very sort of innocent. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Newstead teamed up with them as his return to the limelight. I don't, you know, it's crazy. happened to be in Dallas at the same time, so it works out Metallica's doing a couple of shows, and Moss Brothers are doing a couple of shows. What a great thing. Yeah, this is, of course, the great Jason Newstead of Metallica. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you really taken with these guys, right? Absolutely. How, I mean, that... how, how can how can't you be? I've said it to their mom many times. There's nobody of any age, color, size, language, whatever, that can't like them. How can't you like them? That's how did ridiculous. you find out about this? Uh, Marshall, their manager, gave me a CD, um, and uh, I thought from the photo on the front, you know, just these guys, that it was some kind of ploy by some other band, and there was going to be some regular band behind it. And I put it on and hear him singing, and that was it. I mean, it's all over. So from, since then, we've been. Uh, Together, I sat in with them at a big gig in San Francisco that they had, and we've done some recording over in my studio in San Francisco, and uh, you know we're working on some new songs for the next album together right now. Actually. All right, now let me get this straight. Marshall gives you the CD, mm -hmm. and you had no knowledge of these guys or anything like no, that. No, I just heard that they were cool. You know? So you you put on the CD, mm -hmm. you get caught up in this thing. Absolutely. And then one day, at the home of Reuben and Evan, the phone rings, and hi, this is Jason Newstead of Metallica. Can I speak to Ruben? Right. Or Evan? <laughs> yeah, can you guys come over and jam? Now, what did you guys think when that happened? Uh, I wasn't there. Well, I, I, it's, it's not that I wasn't there. I, I didn't hear the conversation. But Did you, Evan? Were you in on that? I think so. I can't exactly remember. I just remember that I was really excited. Now, yeah. were you guys? Yeah. No, were you guys a big fan of Metallica? God, that, that's so crazy. I know it. it is. We, yeah, we like. It. Yeah, we, yeah, they're they're good. So you, yeah. so you definitely knew who Jason Newstead was, right? Yeah, we've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So then, I mean, were you guys like freaked out about going Probably. to a big, huge, gigantic rock star and jamming with him? Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah it's kind of scary. About two minutes, okay? <laughs> oh, really? Two minutes, they were freaked. Well, what was, that what, was it after that? And take everything in stride very well. What was it like the first time you met? I mean, what did what did you guys do? Just introduce yourself? And I, was start jamming? I was in awe. You were I, awe. I, I was in awe. You were in awe. I was in awe. See, the thing about Ruben is, with like a, some other advanced guitar players that I've played with, older guys, twice as old as him at least, they show you a song once, and then they get mad if you can't play it back to them the next time you play it. That's kind of how Ruben is. Like, he shows you a song, and if you don't hit it the first time, then, you, you know, come on. You know what I mean? Get it together. So that that's, after playing, you know, how many were 1,500 or 1,700 shows around 50 countries with Metallica over the 15, uh, past 15 years um, in front of, I don't know how many, 100 million people or whatever, this guy, you know, stood up, and, I mean, both of them really put it together, and I was completely floored and trying to keep up with him. So it was pretty cool at that time. I just tried to learn all of their songs in one day, you know, and just try to hit with them. So it was very. Uh, well, you're a pretty special. hard guy there, Ruben, aren't you? Yes, man. Yeah, it's true. yeah, I'm impossible. <laughs> it's like he did it on purpose, isn't it? It's almost like a. This is the anti-James, like. Yeah, exactly. This is all the pissing off all the trues. Mm -hmm. Like they come in, like, oh yeah, we want it. We expect like Newstead was always the heart of the band, and like the real, the down to earth heavy metal guy. He was one of the fans. He's the guy that was a fan and then became a part of the band, and then he's gonna play with a bunch of eight year olds. Yeah. What? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I found that fascinating that he's had such a weird. And you you mentioned it right at the top of the show. His eclectic taste in music mm. and his eclectic production of music, the fact that he has created all this weird and wonderful stuff in Metallica, before Metallica, during Metallica, after Metallica, it's a fascinating career and I think a, a pretty unique one as well to go through all these different things, even if, like you said, it's just live appearances and stuff like that. Whether it's on record or not, I don't think particularly matters because he still brought his name and his kind of 
yeah, he, like you said, his first appearance after leaving Metallica. Yeah. That's such a such a cool thing for that band to have. Yeah, yeah, and they sort of disappeared afterwards. Um, they were a little older, sorry. They were 15 and 12. It was a guitarist and uh, his brother, uh, oh, Ruben and Ed. Sure, that makes a world of difference. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> apparently um, the, their manager, who was also a publicist for an Oakland jazz club, um, gave Newstead a copy of their debut in December 1999 when Newstead was at the club at the debut on the north side of the tree. And Newstead liked what he heard, invited the boys over a jam, and then they played together seven different times. It's actually... Uh, I need to watch it fully, but there's a half-hour YouTube clip of like them talking on a radio show at the time. It's like full video as well. It's like shot on a camcorder, so it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, Jason was on their second album, Electrification. So uh, definitely go seek that out. (laughs) And, um, you know, another thing that's really cool going through So What is the fact that the boys get their own pages and they can sort of refer to stuff that they enjoy and, you know, put you on to various bands and music and artists and stuff. And no one, you know, not even Lars, was as diligent as Jason with it. And there's so much to sort of recommend. But just briefly, I mean, he did this thing, Jack. He was recommending his top 10 favorite artists ever. This is Jason's favorite. Black Sabbath, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Earth, Wind and Fire, Eric Clapton. Who else do we have there? Tom Waits is there as well. Hey, there you go. You've got something in common with Jason Newstead. I mean, big kiss. I wonder if if Jason's ever tuned into your Tom Waits podcast. (sighs) You know what? I... I would just, just hope for. I mean, let's just oh, let's just say he did. Let's let's live in that, that dream world. Babe. But I mean, well, I mean, he he then realizes we're doing an episode about him where he's actually been like, man, I'd really love to talk to Tom Quay about Tom Waits. That'd be amazing. I would no. I need to see Jason on a Tom Waits record. Oh I think they'd go man, well, come on! I think they'd really absolutely. I think they'd yeah, I think they definitely imagine, imagine imagine the Newstead backing vocals or a duet. <laughs> I think how yeah, much I think I think maybe not a duet. I think literally how much just fucking... just bass, just a heavy bass on it. But ah, oh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. I was I was imagining the, all the gravel in the world between those yeah, two and oh their, my... their vocals. Oh my god, those BVD. There might there, yeah. might there might be there might be too too much gravel for us to handle in there. <laughs> <laughs> too much gravel to handle. Okay, I like that a lot. And uh... that, that's the that's the name of the title. That's the title of the song, by the way. Well, um, they, you mentioned uh, you mentioned like a celebrity wanting to come on a podcast. I just want to give a quick shout out to my. Uh, podcast brethren live on four legs they're a pearl jam podcast they basically live pearl jam podcast so they review like their shows and set lists and that sort of stuff it's a really good show and uh i know you're a wrestling fan jack they had uh, the edge on the other day they had edge on their pearl jam holy shit i know it's really good adam copeland himself that's cool yeah yeah, he was great he's one of of my my all-time favorites yeah he loves pearl jam holy fuck he's always he's always been a metal guy he loves metallica his his intro song is metalingus by alter bridge and has been for years that song he's a he's a huge he's a huge Foo fighters fan and stuff like that he's a he's always been a rock and metal kind of guy so that that doesn't surprise me but also kind of surprises me you know what i mean and just to go back to Jason's favorite bands, Kiss are also there, quite obviously. He met, he mentions Gene Simmons mm-hmm. as one of the reasons he started playing course, bass. I mean, that, it's that, Kiss, isn't it? That kind of makes sense. It just yeah. seems to always be... You, you, you can't argue with that shit. No, Nugent as well, the Nuge. Oof. I mean, politically, yeah, he's revolting. But yeah. I think I think for for kids of a certain age, from a certain demographic, like Jason, like like, like any teenager, like you know, he, he was a guitar but, slinger, like... 
for American teenagers in the eighties, yes. sure. Yeah, yeah. For 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 us Brits in the twenty twenties, <laughs> not not so much. Maybe not. Russia, <laughs> Russia mentioned as well, though, which is cool. Of of course, uh, and speaking of rest in peace, rest in yeah. peace, Neil Peart as well. Jesus one of the all time, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, one of the all time great drummers, Neil Peart from Rush, yeah. just just an incredible incredible band. And Geddy Lee, I was talking about like elite all time bass players. Geddy Lee is fucking high on that list. He is an absolute yeah, beast oh and an absolute incredible oh songwriter, bass player, and everything. Totally makes sense that. Jason's on that style, and and weirdly enough, like thinking in terms of playing style and stuff, I mentioned how hard Jason picks and what a different technique it is to Cliff. As much as uh, Geddy Lee plays with his fingers, like more like Cliff and Rob do, as opposed to Jason playing with a pick, Geddy Lee beats the shit out of his bases. He plays super hard, and you can really hear that in his style. And I wonder if that was a part of of jason's influence as well because i've always taken that in terms of like when i'm playing with a pick i try to be like jason and and play it really hard and but, mm. but kind of stay with the groove and when i play with my fingers i'm mo- almost most influenced by geddy lee and i am beating the shit out of the strings and stuff like that so it totally makes sense that there's a through line there between their their bass playing skills that that totally makes sense to me i love geddy lee so much i mean i think he um used to just play through the house speakers as a rule so therefore, he would have space on the back line, and we just have like really, obs- like just kind of jokey rush stuff. Like I think they have rotisserie chicken there, just turning around as he plays, or yep. washing yep. machines, Why not? or you know, they had, a po- they had popcorn machines mm-hmm. a couple yeah. of times as well. Yeah, that they would they would stop, and then it would just like ping, and then they go into the next song with the with the popcorn ready to to pop. If there was one song I had to play to impress someone live, back in my secondary school. My, myself on guitar, my friend Ryan on drums, and our biology teacher, Mr. Hughes, on bass. We used to tear... Oh, shout out to Mr. Hughes. We, we used to tear through YYZ. We used to do a killer of YYZ. Of like... course you did. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is, who, yeah. Who, who didn't in, yeah, in high yeah, school? That's yeah, just, it's uh, one of those songs. Yeah, it's definitely one of those so songs. So good. So good. Uh, when, so when, when are we starting our Rush podcast? Oh, my then? God. There's too many. There's, there's already too many. <laughs> the problem is... it's. It, of course there are. You know, we still are completely in the golden era in terms of just, you can just pick, like, you know, for instance, Ted Nugent. I'm, you know, again, I'm not the biggest fan, but I don't <laughs> think there are that many podcasts. There is a brilliant Van Halen podcast uh, called Dave and Dave. Oh, really? Okay. And I will say, I mean, this has been a, I've known Van Halen for years, you know, but I will, they are quickly becoming actually one of my all-time favorite bands ever like it, really yeah, yeah absolutely i definitely huh. think they're one of the greatest rock bands of all time bloody hell i've never given them much of a shout i will i've never really gone out my way to listen to them so but now that you've said that i, I feel like i kind of have to so uh Mechanic, I got my old bass player. I got the old bass player. Nobody hates anybody. Everybody's happy. And we're going to have a great summer. Over and over again. The opportunity to play. Amazing. And Jason's uh, former favorite band, Vivid Skinner. Again, a kind of
Now, you know, there was some interesting turnarounds and just kind of exchanges, such as the fact that Rob went to Metallica and left Ozzy or was Ozzy, one of Ozzy's players and uh, Jason swoops in. Jason was with Ozzy for a brief period. They did tour. Um, you know, Ozzy actually said that Jason reminded him of a young geezer butler, which, uh, you know, was high praise indeed. And they had only done two rehearsals at the time. They had played No More Tears, uh, Crazy Train, you know, all with Jason on bass, War Pigs. Like, oh, man. you know, just oh, yes. come on. Time me up. And, uh, so good. Yeah, I mean, Jason said, you know, there could not be a bigger compliment than what Ozzy said. You know, if someone said, here's a million dollars, or here's this compliment, I'll take the compliment. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Giza Butler is my number one teacher in life, and only he, Newstead said. I'm like, don't, what about Cliff then? <laughs> I'm not trying to call you out, but yeah, like, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Newstead is just fucking, you know, Newstead said he's the only one as well. So uh, yeah, they did do this. And obviously people were thinking, are they going to write together? You know, are we going to get something akin to a Renaissance album like the Randy era? Obviously not, but oh, like, you know man. what I mean? Like, is is someone going to really take the lead? Because, you know, Zach Wilde, you, you, you're cool and everything, but you're not like the most exciting, <laughs> good, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're a scary biker dude, like, you know what I mean? I was going to say, he's probably not the right person you want to be calling out on no. a on a public podcast i'm like starting a fight with like the biggest bikeriest oh dude oh, is he gonna shred pentatonics all over me like oh my god like, <laughs> you know so if newstead came in with zach you know i like the no more tears record i think that's good but i think a lot of zach's 90s stuff is wheel spinning uh you know newstead said if he's telling me the truth right now ozzy says he really wants to write songs it's going to be fucking crazy i'm telling you right now it's going to be out of this world if i get an opportunity to write bass behind his vocals working with zach it's going to be sick man that's all i can say but unfortunately ozzy had the atv accident this is 2003 stopped them recording stopped them touring and nothing happened beyond that jack i mean uh, shame right uh it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. And Sabbath, one of my favorite bands. Ozzy's an all-time great. I like Zach Wild. Yeah. If you're listening, Zach, you're cool. Don't please don't beat us up. <laughs> and <laughs> just the thought of having Newstead, Zach Wild, and Ozzy in the same room writing music together is just like if you'd have told that to fifteen year old Jack, that is just like a wet dream. That is the that is wow. that is the dream team right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. If they found some lost um, album, some out, yeah. Oh, man, be... just like I said, if if you're digging out the the missing tapes from the Metallica era or whatever, like in some parallel universe, there is a Aussie album featuring Jason Newstead, and I feel like we're living in the dark timeline where we don't have that album in our lives. And you know, I, I, I wish I wish it existed. It sounds so cool. <laughs> Mentioning like you know releases we want to see, bootleg releases, whatever, like. 
maybe in another 10 years when we have like another anniversary of justice can we get like loads of the audition tapes please like of just guys who are okay <laughs> like i want to hear flubs i want to hear nerves like you know i'm looking forward to that but uh but yeah you know, jason was out here at this portion of his career you know he was doing whatever he pleased really and um there was a time where he was injured um this went down in october of 2006 uh, you know the story goes that he was trying to catch a falling base head and you know he kind of caught it at a weird angle or at least attempted to screw his shoulder yeah his anterior yeah. labrum and his left shoulder and rotator cuff and biceps tore um scheduled for immediate surgery and a lengthy rehab process and i think he said he was quite, he kind of briefly said he was like addicted to pills or something in the scars interview and um you know yeah he did he also mentioned like he had injured his neck mm-hmm. from years of head banging as well yeah. and it was kind of it could no seriously like that is an actual thing you know, that yeah. he, he had a had a problem with and he's had kind of spinal issues and and shoulder issues ever since and this kind of like you said, compounded all of that and, and brought it to light in a way that was like, oh shit, this stuff needs to be dealt with right now. And yeah, that's not a not a good way to go for a guy who plays the way he does and who has the stage presence that he does. And you know, if if you're a guy who sits around and and kind of plays acoustic sets a lot and stuff like that, I can you can kind of get away with it a bit more. But the way Newstead throws him himself about on stage, mm. you can't just can't imagine him not doing it like maybe you'd have to do a dave Grohl and get one of the little thrones for his broken leg or whatever but <laughs> yeah i don't know but oh, yeah that, that i remember hearing that news and i was like that that kind of makes sense like that's a very jason thing and i, yeah. I felt sorry for him to have to go through that kind of thing yeah i think tom Araya from slayer had similar injuries through similar means you have to have like a metal spine or something like that. So, but you know, Ed, I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty fucking heavy metal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm Tom Araya from Slayer. I have a metal definitely. spine. Like, you could like maybe put a tuner in it and stuff, where it pokes out your skin. Like you can just you know use that. So <laughs> every 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 cloud and like in in terms of this every cloud, like the silver lining was painting. Newstead got into painting. Newstead, you know, initially had, you know, been over to Lars's house and Lars, um, you know, had a Basquiat and hanging over his stove and that sort of idea. Of course he did. You know, and, uh, you know, you see a lot of that influence throughout Jason's art. That's not to say that he isn't, uh, he got a multi approach, like, you know, and has a lot of different things, like, but there are a lot of that, you know, if people are not aware of Basquiat's work, like, it's very sort of primitive, isn't it, in that sense? It looks very juvenile to a centre, but it's very detailed as well. Lots of text, lots of different colours and feels. What's happening, Jason Newstead here? We're in my studio in uh, Jupiter, Florida, and I've been painting here for probably about 12 or 13 years. What you see around you right now is happening in the last couple of weeks. Um, have some big shows coming up in Florida, an exhibit in Art Miami and Art Wynwood and all these different things. So I stay busy in here. Um, at least a few hours a day, and I kind of jump from uh, playing loud music into making these loud paintings, and that's kind of what I do with my time now. All right, so in the last week, I've created a few of these big guys, and this one is what I like to call a self-pity portrait. Um, and this is hobo language, and it's used back during depression and stuff like that, scratched into posts and dirt and cement for people traveling on trains to know what was going on. So this is my neighborhood. Okay, all right. These people are rich. The owner is in, the owner is out. It's a well-guarded house. 
There's drinks in this town, drinks in this town, drinks in this town, drinks in this town, but this is the authorities are aware here, the Juvenile College Police Department, and this is my neighbor Tracy. This means a kind woman lives here. So I've got all kind of stuff tied into from my uh, personal thing here in my uh, neighborhood. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting take on Jason as an artist I think that's it's not something I would ever kind of associate with him becoming a painter like of, of all the people in Metallica to be like by the way I'm doing uh, like postmodern art now like I'm, I'm doing Basquiat inspired art pieces in the in the 2000s you're like oh that's Lars obviously that's Lars yeah, of course. but inspired by Lars as you said Jason is actually the one who brought the you know refocused his creative um output in that way and yeah i think you're right i think primitive is an interesting way of putting it and weirdly enough that kind of again ties in with the kind of salt of the earth yes, raw the base energy that jason brings to everything like he, he really kind of has that gritty raw kind of style and that very much comes through in his artwork as well i am somewhat of a kind of luddite when it comes to understanding art and things like that but i really kind of wanted to look into that because I, it's so not a part of my understanding and not a part of my world and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned basquiat because that's something i kind of found in my research as well was that, that unusual style of having I, I, and when i looked at it i was like oh this is almost like a cave painting almost mm. like it's got this real yeah that that, that interesting style and like the at first it almost looks like a bunch of colors kind of randomly done and the more you look at it the more you kind of can can see the emotions and can see the things that have gone into it yeah i think we see lars selling one of his basquiats in some kind of monster uh during that art auction. we do that, yeah. that, that infamous scene of like gluttonous wealth and uh oh, you know yeah. there's some really cool videos online as well where newstead's like at an exhibition of his work and sort of talking it through with people and you know there's one about like these fighting dogs that again is quite a kind of aggressive uh minimal piece mm. and he described doing it kind of almost instantaneously after watching this documentary he wrote loads of things down into it and then there's other stuff where he'll just um use both hands and write the same word over and over and over again listening to a song and it creates this very kind of ethereal dense misty view it's very fauvist um there's a cool video as well of him and his wife in their studio they have sort of a co-joining studios but they have one ipod and uh, he, the only button on the ipod that has paint on it is the actual fast forward button as in to go to the next track and Apparently Newstead listens to a lot of metal and can paint for up to 16 hours at a stretch. Jesus. That is... <laughs> that's, that's some, I mean, again, are you surprised by Jason Newstead's stamina no, at this God, point? No, that, that's holy shit, superhuman. That, that, that's on brand yeah, again. No, totally. <laughs> for Mr. Newstead. Totally. Yeah, and, yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of masking tape he used as well. Apparently one of the paintings was named after a jam with Buckethead, uh, Demon Cleaner, and, uh, you know, he's really multidisciplined and uh, some of it's quite fantastic, actually. Some of it's quite uh, unnerving. The stuff that feels a bit like just a rich artist is not that interesting to me, but a lot of it can be quite inquisitive. And, uh, yeah, Jason paints art, which, you know, is quite a rare. Any, any rock stars you can think of that also paint? There must be quite a few. There must be loads, right? There must be a, a big kind of crossover with the kind of like I said, the, the creative outputs crossing over in that way. I'm trying to think of any others in oh, like, Ronnie Wood. heavy I metal. Ronnie that... Wood paints, but 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen a couple of his works in a in a local art gallery here. Funnily enough, um, Mick Jagger doesn't he paint? Yeah, maybe. I don't I know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> he could do. He could do. But um, yeah. So uh, you know, Jason. So many projects here. Like you know, you know, obviously the Aussie stuff that we mentioned before. Um, also the well, we have to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, Jack. Possibly the greatest reality TV show of all time. Certainly something that at the time when I saw it on TV, you know, in quote unquote real time, like I can't remember what it was on. It was on some channel on like Thursdays at eight or something. Not not like E4, but something like that, some music channel or something like that. This is um, Rockstar Supernova. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Love Island. Love Island. Love Island. This was yeah. definitely my Love Island. And uh, this is the <laughs> second series of the reality TV show Rockstar. Obviously, the first series been the NXS series, where they were looking for a new singer. And it was, you know, it was kind of still when American Idol was hot and wasn't necessarily played out or whatever. And X Factor are here. And now it's just, you know, such a rocane garbage like but here was quite original like it was an exciting format the idea was it was going to be a brand new band uh, dave navarro and brooke burke presenting with 15 contestants and the supergroup jack quite an enticing trio on paper at least former gnr guitarist gilby clark for uh, motley cruise drummer tommy lee and mr newstead What a weird lineup! Yeah, <laughs> but what a what a, what a cool lineup! What a weird lineup! It is a weird lineup. Yeah, I'm. I remember again. Like I said, we're we're a similar age, you and I, and we. I very much remember tuning into this, and I, th- I can't remember where I saw an, an ad for it, but there must have been an advert somewhere, and then suddenly Jason appears. It's like, no way! Yeah, no, not the guy for. Actual Jason Newstead from Metallica, like the guy that I was obsessed with and playing bass at the time, and then, yeah, he just showed up 
on a reality TV show. I'm like, what the mm-hmm. hell is this? I remember, obviously, like, the Osbournes was a thing around that sort of time. So Definitely. the kind of the heavy metal reality show crossover <laughs> yeah. is a thing I never thought would be a thing. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Good yeah, Charlotte had something going on for a few oh, days. Probably. Who? <laughs> oh, yeah, less, the less we say about that, the better. Right, right. But yeah, I think the, the rock star TV show caught on in such a way that I had I had no idea about the first season at all until after I'd started watching the second one. And yeah, Supernova was such a cool cool start to that an interesting project. I had no idea what to expect, but I was so impressed when I started watching it. I need to go back and watch it properly because I've read through the episode synopsis. It has quite a well-stocked Wikipedia page, I will say. Every contestant, all their songs are listed, you know, if they were voted down. So it kind of followed this format where they all lived in a mansion together and were trying to become, you know, the lead singer of the band. And then they would meet members of the band. Apparently there's an episode where Jason speaks to them all in the studio or something, like at the start of VT. And then they perform live and people vote. And then, you know, you have the face-off and the final two and the comments from all the judges as well. There's one comment that's always stuck with me that I've never forgotten. It was some girl or something who caught, I can't remember what she sung. She sung something awful. And Tommy Lee was like, <laughs> dude, that was sautéed in wrong sauce. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know, what a line. So now, What a uh, line. Jason was there. If I remember from what I saw, Jason was a very measured, respectful, like he wasn't going to go cowl on you, you know? No, absolutely not. I remember, I specifically remember some of the live shows that they did and seeing Jason just in that new context and in yeah. that in that different way and like, is that, is that Tommy Lee? Holy <laughs> shit. Like, what the <laughs> what did they talk this? about? They are not bedfellows. Like... They were talking about how, you know, how down to earth and how sort of what a family man mm. Jason is and then the perhaps the height of 80s hair metal excess and drugs sex and rock and roll kind of shit yep tommy lee like oh my god the guy who has a fucking sex tape with pamela anderson for god's sake and then jason newstead (laughs) what a weird combination and then gilby clark who like i'm a guns and roses nut and like anyone knows that like gilby was a fill-in on the tour is an easy clone kind of in look but obviously can't write like i think was kicked out the band for not being able to write or something like that but (laughs) you know his solo work isn't that great like i listened to his debut album guitar shop doors or something like that pawn shop guitars but um i will say i don't know if you remember the theme to the song um but it was like the main riff to one of their songs the whole show it would play at the end of each advert break it was like down 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 and down and down and down like it kind of had a nice groove to it we'll play a clip here but it um you know ultimately Lucas Rossi won, who was this kind of emo hedgehog sort of dude. Like he was this Canadian. <laughs> he was kind of like in his you know he had like dyed hair. He was in his feelings and stuff. He wasn't necessarily like a Hetfield. Not that he had to be, and not that he didn't have power and grace, and he had a certain sort of enigmatic James Dean charm, but. There were some people around who I thought maybe were a bit more deserving. Patrice Pike uh, was someone that had a crush on as a youth, and uh, she's still pretty good. I remember <laughs> she played. Uh, they put, she covered "My Iron Lung," 
and it was the first time I actually heard that Radiohead song, and I was like, oh, this is fucking great, and then that sort of got me into Radiohead, so, um, yeah, he won, there was, like, a injunction filed against the band, because there was a band yeah, called Supernova. There was so, a pop-punk band already called Supernova, apparently. So their official name is Rockstar Supernova. No colon. Oh, it's just the worst. Oh, Jason. Just the worst. <laughs> Absolutely awful. And uh, I mean, Supernova's not ideal, but mm. Rockstar Supernova. Oh, that's a, and that's, a, that's a reality TV show name out of push, let alone yeah. a band they did tour a little bit, from what I gather, or they did have a certain tour. Because, you know, the show was watched. There was that hype surrounding it, I suppose, to a certain extent. So, want to give us the rundown of what we're doing here today at the Rocket Room? Yeah, so San Francisco, today is the first day of uh, auditions for this rock star show that mm-hmm. they did. You know, last year, Mark Burnett Productions, who was responsible for The Apprentice and Survivor and Amazing Race and mm-hmm. this rock star and Excess thing and many other things. Yeah. But, um... One successful season, yeah, one successful season of it. Mm -hmm. So a couple weeks ago, I get a call, and they're saying, hey, uh, CBS and Mark Burnett's trying to put together a television rock super group. Mm -hmm. And uh, they gave Tommy a list of bass players, and he crossed off all the names except yours. Would you like to play? And I'm like, hmm. Let me think about that. Okay, what time do you want me there? Yeah, I'll be there. Same with Ozzy, man. And the thing was, they called me the exact same day as Sharon called me three years later, exact day, February 24th. Uh On the day. So, wow. Yeah. Cosmic, right? So the dude gets the call. Uh-huh. And then I had to keep it all real tight because you have yeah. to swear confidence about this. That's part of the show, you know? Yep. And uh, I told Tom, and told me Tommy was going to play drums. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going, okay, well, we've known each other for decades. And we've always wanted to jam, but we never had the chance. So the rhythm section of me and him, I mean, it's already going to be bombastic. Yes. Like, huge. So he's whoever amazing, they put on top of Gilby's great guitar player and a right. singer, you know, whatever, they're right. spending literally $20 million wow. to find a singer for our band. Wow. Okay. The whole world. They're scouring the whole world. I told you, like, the NXS right. thing did North America, but they're right. doing the whole world. So there's scouring. actually auditions in Thailand, you were saying. Thailand, Singapore, Iceland, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand, you name it, they're going there. They're so the, scouring the ends of the earth the show to get a guy to sing for you, or a girl. It could be any, a right? person. A, a person, person to sing for us, to present our band, to mm-hmm. be one of us. Yeah, the band were questionable from the off. Um, achieved platinum status in Canada, though. And sold moderately well on iTunes. I mean, sure. Like, yeah. I wonder what that whether that was because of the names involved or because of the show. Or again, must have been a combination of the two. Yeah. But there is, there is. I mean, it's not. It's not bad music. Like, it's not terrible. Weirdly enough, I kind of felt a kinship to Echo Brain in a lot of ways, and this kind of post grungy kind of Alice in Chainsy kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But. It's nothing to write home about, you know. It's nothing for me. For me personally, that was it. Didn't it didn't blow my mind? But I, I enjoyed the show. The, the music's decent, and and, and it, it was fine. You know what I mean? So did you did you get a chance to actually listen to the album when you were watching the show, or did you? Oh yeah, retroactively no, I've listened, I've listened go back to and... it quite a bit. Yeah, and oh, it's terrible. <laughs> of course, I mean, you, have. you know, it's uh, it's very slick. You know, it, it yeah. sounds good. It's, and a, it's a bit, of, it's a bit overproduced, and yeah, very overproduced. And it's a weird way of saying it, but it feels a bit like L.A. E. If that makes sense, it feels mm-hmm. very Los Angelesy. Very sure. oh, this is cre- this is created by a TV studio kind of thing. This isn't yeah. You know. yeah. But again, the kind of the the raw roots that Jason comes from in terms of 
you know, starting up a band with his mates and just traveling across the country and all that kind of stuff. This is a a far fucking fling from that. Yeah, no, <laughs> this, this is, is the yeah, this super is a... produced. Like I think slick is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. That super produced kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, it's really gloriously kind of bad. It's the kind of music that can only result when free talent musicians are contractually obliged to work with a wannabe singer. Like you know, it's <laughs> pretty much exactly the album that you knew was going to happen in Rockstar Supernova, like, you know, and to be honest with you, you can't force chemistry, especially in this level on a kind of studio record, like, you're going to be found out in seconds, and uh, yeah, it just doesn't really work, but again, Newstead's on here, and he he plays well, like, he is heard, and, uh, but it's very kind of on rails, I suppose, in terms of influences, it's not quite pioneering anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing to, like I said, nothing to write home about. It's not going to be the, if if you're not already a Jason Newstead fan, this is not the thing that will get you into Jason Newstead, I don't think. No, no maybe if you, that'd be amazing if you started with Rockstar Supernova and then got into Metallica. It's, I mean, that's totally possible. Oh, Somebody is, coming yeah. in in that, in that era. Maybe not now, obviously, like 15 years too late nearly, but yeah, yeah back in 2006, there must have been enough people that were suddenly just flicking through whether they're like a reality TV fan or just, mm-hmm. you know, surfing the channels and that pops up and like, oh, who's this bass player guy? He seems he seems like a cool dude. Oh, I've heard of Metallica. Or I don't know anything about them. And then suddenly they get into it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe it's wishful thinking. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's <laughs> happened. It's a wild world. But you know, Metallica and Newstead didn't necessarily you know have any burnt bridges between them or anything like that they would appear you know on several occasions um on april 4th for example 2009 this is the rock and roll hall, hall of fame induction where newstead actually gave a speech and you know he was on stage with rob and all the guys and uh, ray as well rest in peace and uh, you know he gets a huge reaction from the audience he says how wonderful it is to be included, thanks to his entire family and to everyone's families. And he actually fans Flotsam and Jetsam and the road crews and record stores and all the fans around the girl, the world. You know, it's a real humble, <laughs> wonderful speech. And he says that you are the fuel without you. There would be no us. Like, uh, it's a very Newsteadian kind of edict there. It's been a wonderful weekend. Um, it's just so wonderful to be included in this whole thing pretty overwhelmed at this point kind of been levitating for the last few days and uh, it's still happening but I would like to take a moment to recognize and thank the following wonderful human beings my mother and my father and my entire family for their love support and encouragement and to all of our families for their sacrifices and understanding over time Uh, much love to my friends everywhere, near and far. You know who you are out there. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, Extra special thanks to the love of my life, Nicole, for standing by me through the last seven years of challenges and adventures. Uh, Thank you very much for that. Thank you, my sweet. Much love and respect to former bandmates and comrades and thrash metal pioneers Flotsam and Jetsam. And Metallica. Thank you, James, Kirk, Lars, so much for giving me the opportunity to share the experiences of these amazing, bountiful decades 
of heavy metal ambassadorship and taking our style of music to where it had never been taken before. Thank you for that. Many thanks to the thousands of people that have worked with Metallica over the years, from road crews to recording studios, from record companies to record stores, and beyond, all sharing the same Metallica will kick your attitude that helped bring us before you tonight. Thank you to the Hall of Fame Foundation for honoring these efforts and our beautifully ugly music. And last and most importantly, my respect and gratitude to all of the Metallica music lovers and fans around the globe. Around the globe, around the globe, around the world, and those of you that are here with us tonight, you make us alive, you keep us strong, you are the fuel. Without you, there could be no us. So thank you all very much. Cheers. Yeah, again, makes sense for Jason. That, that's totally I remember being so excited when they were talking about him coming back and... and like I said, I had assumed they'd burnt those bridges, but you're right that there seemed to be, there certainly was a period of animosity there, I think. And, and when James was going through what he was going through at the time, he needed time to heal. And, and in interviews with James since, I think he has kind of come to see it in a different light and think about it in terms of, I think he mentions it in some kind of monster as well. When he loves something, he chokes it to death kind of thing. Yes. He holds so tightly to it that he mm -hmm. chokes it. And he realized that wasn't a healthy thing for him to do in in Metallica. And I think that, that kind of inspired the hiring of Rob in a lot of ways. Because he, he, again, he's, he's got very much the kind of down-to-earth, I mean, he's got the, the surfery chill. Yes. Like, yeah, he's not got the intensity kind of, of Jason. Like. No, quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Quite the opposite. He's pretty intense when he's on stage, when he's uh, crab walking at you. Oh, hell yeah. If he's if he's the, mid crab walk, watch out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus, you're gonna get stomped on Lethal. with those gigantic thighs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But but yeah, I think that's that's what the band needed at the time was somebody to come in and be, and and not to draw a parallel too closely, but be another Kirk basically, who will just kind of yeah. not necessarily be in the background, but be able to say, "Sure, James and Lars, you do your thing. I'm here when you need me." I'll go surfing and chill out for a bit. You know what I mean? Like the, those two have definitely got that in common in Robin Kirk. And I think his energy is what that band needed at the time to heal from the loss of Jason in that way, in the same way that they needed somebody like Jason to come in there and really, you know, when they were mourning or lack thereof from cliff, mm. they had Jason come in. And as you said, when, when the electricity cuts out, Jason is the guy that is saying, yeah. come on, motherfuckers, let's do this. We're Metallica. You guys as Metallica, we are Metallica. Let's you know, let's let's be the biggest band in the world, kind of thing. And I think that makes sense for them to go through that journey in different ways of the different place players, and a very, very it's very telling of the different eras of the band. I think. And what did you make of a further appearance of his 
with the boys 2011, the 30th anniversary shows, you know, playing Creeping Death, playing Harvester. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Great to see him back on stage. Obviously, it's not quite the same as it was back in the day, but it was mm. just so heartwarming to see him back on. Yeah. Weird having weird having two bass players at the same time. Well, why, never... Rob, why couldn't you... I know it wasn't your decision, Rob. I know. <laughs> why, why couldn't you just step aside for a bit? Like, I don't... Just, just have a. I mean, he's already sit down half the time. Anyways, just crab walk off to the side. Yeah, squat, exactly. squat down. Just chill. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But no, still. I mean, it's difficult to say that to the guy who's now been in Metallica longer than any other That's bass it. player ever. Like, yeah, is it? He'll always be as much as Jason was Jason, new kid to the band. Rob will always be the new bass player in Metallica to me. <laughs> New <laughs> Gillo, you can't really do the new. Yeah, yeah, sort of do, doesn't quite work. New, new Hio, new yeah, doesn't quite. Yeah, yeah, new um, doesn't quite work. So no, um, and you know, I'm sure in the future as we go on with these anniversary box sets and whatnot, there will be occasions that the guys, you know, meet up and converse, and you know, looking forward to that. So lots of other stuff on the table for Newstead. He was actually um, discussed. I discussed this on the you know tracks that all the guys have been on um in october 2010 he joined a super group with ian gillen and john lord from deep purple uh iomi was there as well also miko lindstrom from him and nico mcbrain from iron maiden uh the band were called who cares and they did a charity single entitled out of my mind and there was also another song called holy water as well uh you know these are interesting tracks they're kind of like loose, kind of jammy sort of things with a soul the bass. Like. opposite of Rockstar Supernova like we were yeah. saying with the, the slick the slickness of that recording and you go to something Absolutely. like Who Cares Who Cares from the title of the band alone sounds like a bunch of kids in a fucking basement somewhere mm-hmm. and it kind of is if all those kids were world famous musicians in their 40s <laughs> it very much feels like that kind of that kind of vibe you said, like, the, like you said kind of jammy kind of style to it but yeah yeah definitely definitely it's got a certain indulgence to it but it's still tasteful and uh yeah it's worth checking out there so that's another thing that jason's been on and jason's been popping up all around but of course you know the kind of mainstay of his attentions has been the newstead band or, or newstead so you know this was really exciting for me at least, for this to be announced that, you know, finally we're not going to see him channeled through something or backing X and Y up. This is just going to be all him all the time. You know, the, from the ground up, this kind of all-inclusive holistic approach. Um, i got to be honest, I don't really like these records, to be honest with you. How dare you, Tom? Like, I don't How, know. 
I've laid you away much? with dissing, like... load and reload, yeah. and now, now we must fight. <laughs> Are you, uh, you, you're no. a fan of these, these? I, I really like Newstead. Yeah, it is, it is very much my kind of thing. And like I said, this is the thing I assumed we were getting when Newstead left the band. Yeah, this oh, is very much. This the... is not the Moss Brothers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Holy pretty shit. pretty far away from the Moss Brothers, to yeah. say the least. And um, I mentioned back in our Murder One episode we did together. I'm a huge Motorhead fan, mm. and of all the influences on this record and on Jason, I think the Motorhead and Lemmy influences perhaps worn the most readily on his sleeve in this sense. And yeah, it, it's a the fact that the EP is just called Metal and the album. It's called heavy metal music. Just says it all. And it's instead and yeah. Yeah. It is just straight up Jason writing heavy metal songs. And it is it's not yeah, thrashy kind of stuff, which is again kind of maybe what a lot of people would expect is for him to go super hard, super heavy, and just go crazy. But he can actually kind of goes for a more almost like stonery groove metal kind of vibe to me there's some there's okay. some kind of caius and queens of stone edge kind of vibes in there for me i know you're a big queens fan mm, tom so absolutely we've talked about that we've talked about that before yes. um i've always kind of gravitated towards that kind of stuff as well in terms of the kind of groovier side of rock and metal and yeah i i don't know i, I don't know if it's just me being as i up the album on vinyl than the Newstead album and I was so excited for it. He's like, mate, Jason Newstead could take a shit and you would buy a record of it. And right, I was like, right. well yeah, fair enough. Like he was calling calling me out for being a bit of a fanboy. <laughs> Dude, so, it's called Load. Yeah. I'm, 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 oh, oh wow. here we go. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, this Add Newstead, it again, uh, How dare you? So so so, yeah. so what what do you think what do you think of heavy metal music? What were your uh, kind of you know, I mean, what were your initial thoughts? It was too mid tempo. It felt a little plodding, to be honest with you. You, you. you wanted a bit more thrashiness to it? Maybe? Yeah, it wasn't fast enough really to dazzle. Um, and it was competently executed, but it kind of lacked any sort of visceral punch. Uh, it just didn't... You know, it made good on its simple premise. It is kind of meat and potatoes out there if you just want to be satisfied on that level. Yeah. But I don't know, yeah. you know, it's just... Obviously, you're not you're a meat and potatoes kind of guy well it's not you know well, I'm a math rock sort of guy so it's like a lot of this yeah, sort of stuff is, you know you, you know that stuff but obviously you're going to compare it to Metallica as well and you know I don't want to do that but it just I don't know I will say I'm a little disappointed like it's like it was funny I was listening to a Beatles podcast recently and they were talking about Paul McCartney's first album when that came out which I think was just around the time the Beatles were ending or in fact it was the press release that came out with this album that announced the end of the Beatles um, people were disappointed because they were expecting like the next big thing as if the Beatles next but you know it's kind of a bit more inward than that and I guess I was so excited for this I was thinking Newstead's just fucking directing and writing and producing and whatever whatever but here it's like is this it like I thought I was going to get something with a bit more depth I don't know yeah fair enough fair enough I, I do I totally get the 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 for want of a better phrase the complaint that it is very meat and potatoes sure. it does what it says on the fucking tin like this is this is the Motorhead style. We are Motorhead and we play rock and roll. This is I'm Jason Newstead and I play heavy metal kind of thing. This is here. Um, inspired by the classics, you're thinking like Priest and Motorhead and that kind of early era of of heavy metal and that kind of thing. It totally makes sense that it wouldn't click for some people. But 
yeah i think i think i i fanboyed out a little bit and and really got into that album and i just kind of poured myself into it when i first got it as well which i think would help which helped So yeah, Newstead, the band, eventually came to an end for, you know, some tough reality reasons, really. It's not like one of these things that fizzled out obscurely. Newstead was upfront about this, you know, he was pragmatic. He said on the end of the band, quote, it cost me an awful lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to take the Newstead band around to 22 countries that we played. But it was worth it for the lessons I learned and the respect that was shown to us and the camaraderie of the band. I couldn't continue because the business is such a harsh thing now and so different from what I'd known. There were a couple of things that were very good and then a couple of things that were very bad. When it came down to the money stuff and just having to wear all the hats and doing the writing, singing, playing and paying for everything, it was just too much of a load. The good things that happened with the shows that came off very well and received very well. The European stuff was fantastic and I got a couple of good opportunities over for Iron Maiden at Sonosphere and the Download Festival. Those are wonderful. Respect being shown that I couldn't have maybe predicted. We got respect from generations of bands that followed Metallica and Voivod and people we taught without knowing it. So... I mean, you know, props to Jason for fucking bankrolling this whole thing in the start. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Oh, again, I'm not surprised by that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that he was ready to throw himself at it and and put his all into it, you know, spiritually, financially, creatively, all that kind of stuff. And obviously, from being in the biggest band in the world for 15 years, I'm not surprised he was able to kind of... <laughs> Yeah. bankroll it in that sense and and be able to do that it's a unique position he was in to be able to do that but i do wonder what would have happened if he had handled it in a different way or if there was some other way of doing it or whatever but yeah, i like really appreciate it or, yeah yeah exactly yeah releasing it through his own record label and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff and doing all the distribution and production himself and, if it was like yeah, through blackened if it was through metallica's label that would have been sweet uh, that would have sold a hell of a lot more, yeah. I would reckon. <laughs> yeah, that would have been smart but, business. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I wonder if they had had talks like that, or if Jason, being the guy that he was, wanted to do it. Sure. Yeah, actually, a, that's so anti-Newstead. Like, yeah. Yeah, he, he he would do it the 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 grounded way. I would think that yeah. would be very much his kind of vibe. And yeah, it's it's. I really appreciate his honesty. Like that makes sense again from all the the interviews we've been we're reading for research mm-hmm. and stuff. He is a straight up, no bullshit kind of guy, and I really appreciate his openness in that way. Whether it's about him departing from Metallica, his time in Metallica, and then talking about this of just like, I tried, I gave it a shot, but this is not feasible for me to continue to do this. And yeah, you you can't hold it against the guy for being like, oh no, make another album, we right. demand it or whatever. As, as much as I like that first album, like I said, I totally understand why he didn't 
carry on and and you know gotta respect him for that for what he did to to produce that it's accomplishment to even release an album when you're signed to a record label let alone doing it all yourself basically yeah yeah and uh you know he was also in voivod that you mentioned before are you a fan of voivod with jason or without or are you i am yeah i, I like them they're probably my as I, like i said as much as i like newstead and we touched on flotsam and jetsam voivod are, voivod are a band i've kind of gotten into in, in more recent years like after knowing jason was in them and that kind of thing but i enjoy voivod with or without metallica as uh, jason newstead i think that that kind of works as a band in and of itself and, and it was the initial interest for me the fact that jason had gone in there and knowing like hey it's the guy from metallica but yeah i'm, I'm down with a bit of voivod over the years for sure how about you? Have you ever dipped Not into Voivod? Too familiar, no. But um, I know they're a band that you know mean a hell of a lot to Jason because we mentioned before when he was crying on Rockstar Supernova uh, over "Wish You Were Here," and I believe that's when someone from Voivod actually passed away uh, within the week. So you know, someone very close to him. But no, not too. I mean, there's just. It is so impressive. I need some sort of like family tree poster or something for all the new step projects because it is it's, <laughs> it's got its tireless energy that obviously we've seen exhibited throughout the time of Metallica, but just to see it in a creative pursuit is pretty inspiring. I mean, the Chop House band as well, Jack. How can we forget? Like, this has been going for years now, Jason. There. Yeah, that's something I I didn't see coming for sure. Like I said. And I've said so many times, like Newstead is what we expected from Jason. And the fact that he went through Rockstar Supernova and Echo Brain and the Chop House band of all things. And I remember, I think it was one of my bandmates who had mentioned like, do you know Jason Newstead's doing like acoustic blues sets now? And I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> oh yeah, he's doing like country blues kind of stuff. And there was a clip and my bandmate showed me of him on like on a radio show just talking with an acoustic guitar sat on his lap i'm like what the hell is this yeah. what is going on i've never have predicted this in a million years and hearing him as this kind of singer songwriter kind of thing yeah i mean uh he, i mean i say that he's been doing this sort of stuff in the studio and covering stuff and but the, yeah the chop house band august 2016 um Newsom hadn't been in the public eye for quite a while and then announced that the new acoustic group jason Newsom and chop house band and in so what actually they had some um, cool questionnaires and one of them was about you know what do you have uh, on the tour bus what are your five essentials and you know um lars says his cell phone and uh, sudafed and james says fans and uh, coc a fucking good vibe he says corrosion and conformity mm-hmm. which is great and jason newstead says his recording gear Suitcase 1, speakers, cords, and CDs. Suitcase 2, portable video player and instructional videos. Suitcase 3, virtual guitar unit and drum machine. Suitcase 4, 4 track. 5, the bass. Honorable mention, honey and tea. So, I mean, this guy (laughs) is just a fervent experimenter. And, uh, you know, in the same way that presidents, when they get older, write their memoirs or whatever, hopefully musicians like Newstead release like their archives and we get to listen to some of the demos yeah, man. and that sort of For stuff sure. yeah i love the the chop house band kind of vibe to it being again another side of jason and hearing his creativity come out in that way like you said a lot of it is covers and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. there must be so many times and as i said earlier like him sat in the back of a tour bus or him sat at home you know sitting in his in his studio it must be so 
must be so full of opportunities and and cool things that just have gone gone amiss basically <laughs> yeah and uh, you know in so what uh, on one of the vibe lists jason along with his films and his tv shows and the music that he's enjoying and miscellaneous stuff um he also just has latest chop house projects is another header on that page so the songs at the time uh, barn monkey uh, tree of the sun blastula turd ben polished <laughs> uh telepathic and el rone and just uh yeah on the film and tv at the time i think it was in the 90s mid 90s uh i don't really know what a lot of these are i mean menace to society i know too young to die talk soup singled out on mtv and then on his music he mentions alice in chains down coolio mud honey uh (laughs) fear factory godflesh melvin's bad religion like Wow, so Jason's always sort of that guy, and there's a funny quote here actually. There's a hand, as Metallica always do, there's sort of the handwritten on the printed. So there's a handwritten note from Lars on this. It says, "Hey Jason, you told me last week that you really liked Oasis. Where are they? I don't understand. This this review's over. I love Lars." (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Jason's Uh, out there is what we're saying, as we always say. And uh, I found another cool thing as well. Uh, this was laughter, laughter, the lighter side of Metallica. So this was interviews with the guys, and what do they find funny? And Jason says, I like a lot of the British stuff, young ones and faulty towers and that kind of stuff. A lot of dry, different things. You learn to develop that sense of humour all of us have from working with all the crew for so many years and being so close to them and watching countless hours of Monty Python over and over and over again. I don't like it to get too gruesome or racist or anything like that. Sketch comedy like Kids in the Hall in Living Colour, old SNL. I really like that stuff a lot. I try to watch a lot of comedy, actually. It's good for the soul. Uh, that, Jason's... Again, not not a surprise there from Jason. No, I like I like that yeah, I like that he's got that British bent and he says also that uh, he likes Stephen Wright, uh Caddyshack, Bill Murray, he loves Larry Miller as well. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's quite cool to see what the guys say there. And James actually says, uh, who makes you laugh? Kirk putting his makeup on before a show, that makes me laugh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course. Of course. And uh, yeah, so that don't miss don't miss Kirk and his guyliner. No, 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 no. Of course, he's got to get the shot in. And I've been going through uh, issues of So What and stuff like that for Jason material, and uh, lots of cool stuff here. So um, Jason actually saying that he keeps all the banners and stuff in the garage. Um, You know, the people sort of hand out at concerts and stuff. He keeps loads of that stuff personally. Um, A weird question as well that I put on the Twitter earlier. And I'm surprised they printed this anyway in the official magazine. The question is, have any of you tried to commit suicide before or after Cliff died? And Jason's fucking I know, dark. Right? That's mental. And James says, what for? Lars says, next question. Jason, this is capitals, underlined. Absolutely fucking not. Exclamation mark. <laughs> so, good Christian boy. We also have pages on blues dudes so i love this about jason so there's two big pages of him giving a paragraph review of people like sunhouse robert johnson lead belly like the guy knows his fucking stuff loads of cool guitar players as well like t-bone uh, t-bone walker and howling wolf and that sort of elmore james so um and people like i've never heard of like theodore taylor apparently as well and he gives a little vibe list so jason man this 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 guy's taste is unparalleled absolutely from British comedy to yeah, yeah, coming exactly. through with that kind of stuff, like yeah, absolutely. I wonder how many Metallica fans were like, "What's bottom?" When like, yeah, <laughs> dude, yeah, yeah, so yeah. What, what a great introduction! Because that again, 
us two being British, that's mm-hmm. the kind of shit we're raised on over here. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he says actually I mean, in a later vibe list under the title video, uh, he's enjoying Mr. Bean. So, oh God, Mr. Bean. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> Weirdly enough, that's the thing that comes up in my work quite a lot, is uh, a lot of the students know Mr. Bean as a reference for British comedy. Right. Because I work, I work with um, people who don't speak English, basically, the non-native speakers who are coming over here as international students to learn right. English. And as a reference point, they're always like, oh, yeah, I love Mr. Bean. Because obviously he kind of transcends language because he doesn't really Completely. speak. Completely, yeah, yeah, well, he's mute, Physical he, comedy, slapstick yeah. comedy and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. You only get the occasional like Teddy and stuff like that. And apart from right. that, it's, it's pretty much wow. just yeah. physical comedy. So it is. Mr. Bean keeps, keeps cropping up in my life despite my best my best wishes. I've always hated cats, Mr. Bean. Cats just jumped on my desk. Yeah, right. yeah. No, I. Uh, I mean, Newstead, we've agreed on ninety nine percent of the stuff, but yeah, Mr. Bean has never chimed really for me. But um, no. Nonetheless, never. cool to see that Jason put it out there as well on this edition. He mentions um, Ed Game book that he's reading. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam's 14 and a half year reunion in Phoenix. He's also enjoying Kiss live in Pittsburgh. Uh, the film Kids with Rosario Dawson, which is actually a really cool film uh, from the 90s. And um, nice. I, mean, I mean, Jason's just you know all over the place with his recommendations. And uh, there's lots of cool issues of So What as well, just about Jason, where it's kind of like people's opinions on who Jason is. So uh, Kirk says, and this was kind of in the load period, Jason's a lot more comfortable with his role in the band now. A lot more comfortable. That's a great thing. You know, he had some big shoes to fill. He basically waltzed into a perfect situation. I think he was a little overwhelmed by it all, but he's grown into it very well. James says, Jason is definitely the live dude. He's always up for a show no matter when or where it is. He's very regimented in that way. He has to eat at this time and take a certain vitamin and drink his superpower drinks and all that shit. But whatever works for you is definitely a good tip. It's a pretty good theory, whatever works for you. He obviously greets the fans uh, here and there. He'll stop anywhere. Fucking Winnipeg 30 below. He'll stop and get out and sign some stuff. Sometimes I think like, you know, I'm fucking sick. (laughs) And my throat is kind of keeping us alive. If I get out and sign 30 photographs in 30 below weather, is that kind of smart? Or should I stay inside and do some more shows? There are some personal decisions that have to be made. (laughs) But he's up for it all the time. And he just is, isn't he? He's, He's the fucking, the fans fan that went on to become a fucking member. Exactly. Yeah, he's he. You, in cinema, you talk a lot about having a surrogate audience member have the the new character come into the situation within the film and have them be a replacement for the audience being introduced to this situation. And he is the surrogate fan. He is the like you said, the fan that became a member. The the fans fan. Jason is he represents all of us and or you know is such a down-to-earth guy that i think gets that side of metallica or at least did when he was in the band a lot more than anyone else like he had a life before metallica whereas the rest of the band and he's had a life during yeah. both of those times i think he's he's had a unique view on that band and and the life and music in general i think yeah, and uh, you know this has been Jason Newstead. I what, do you know what he's up to now? I need to catch up on the latest news. I don't think he's done anything for a little while. <laughs> he doesn't really like. It may not surprise everybody. He's not really much of a tweeter or anything. No, like no. That. I think it's his Twitter banner says that you should. He's, he's not manned anymore, so go away. Like pretty much, yeah. And it's like um, 
a lot of the things he was like posting about heavy metal music and stuff like that. Okay. Have you done anything in the last five years? I was like, nah, just don't mention it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, great. Some tweets from like 2015 and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last thing he mentioned. Like, okay. Look, he doesn't. I mean, he said himself that the Black Album sells a couple of thousand copies a week. Like, he he just needs to chill right now. Like, he just needs to jam and paint to his heart's content, and occasionally talk to people like Scuzz or whatever, or or us or Clint and Ethan. I guess he would go with rather than me. Even though I've done a whole episode on you, but <laughs> uh, you know they have two to be fair. But uh, but yeah, this has been you know exactly what I wanted it to be: sprawling and divergent. And fact-packed, you know, we've put a lot of information in here about Newstead. And, um, you know, obviously the guy is uh, a gentleman and a genius and someone who's a constant inspiration. And um, just an iconic member of so many people's lives, really, you know, really a a defining element. So, uh, yeah, Jason, we love you. I mean, Jack, any final thoughts on Jason? I mean... I am where I am today. He's the reason I play bass. He's the reason I picked up a bass in the first place. And yeah, if in somehow some weird world, Jason Newstead ends up listening to this. Yeah. First of all, how narcissistic of you, Jason? Listen to a podcast all about yourself. No. And second of all, thank you so much for everything you've contributed to Metallica and everything else beyond that. It's just been, yeah, like you said, an inspiration and such an important part of one of the biggest bands ever i think he he really deserves the the credit and fan adoration that he receives even being removed from the band now for nearly 20 years Mm. he still you know lives on in people's hearts in so many ways so yeah guys uh get in touch with us let me know any jason anecdotes that you've had or anything like that i'd love to read them out in the show in the future metallicapod at gmail.com if you enjoy the show, get at me uh, at MetallicaPod. Uh, also, the email, Patreon is there, iTunes is there. Go leave us a review. Check out the reviews that people have been leaving as well. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. We'll be back in the future. We've got lots of cool episodes coming out. I think probably the next one that will come out after this will probably be the Metallica Live at Glastonbury. So you may be aware that the BBC are, you know, they're a very giving company online for the most part. We've with Glastonbury they have a pernicious grasp on the copyright and they will just yank any video. So you can never find the full <laughs> concert. And luckily I have contacts in the Metallica underworld. And so yeah, of course you do. A, uh, you well know, done, Tom. 1080p file over there of the whole Glasto thing. <laughs> with the f- short film that they did, which I didn't even realize they did. They did this like, little mini uh, sort of yeah art house piece uh, that played on the screens before and they kind of satirized their lukewarm reaction when they were announced even though they were obviously fantastic so is that, yeah. is that the hunting video thing? that's right that's right yeah yes i've seen that that's yeah. that's weird yeah 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 but, so but uh, interesting but weird yeah yeah like today like today i think so pretty much and uh, yeah. jack what about you i mean i know you've sequelizers right people love this show absolutely i hope they do uh, that's that's what i'm kind of dedicating much of my time to at the moment mm. we've just launched our new season season five we are now weekly for the first time ever which is a big deal for us wow. we went from twice a month to a weekly show uh our patreon is taking off and really helping support that expansion as well we're working on our first pieces of merchandise at the moment we're doing a big big expansion and uh yeah there's lots of cool extra bonus content you can get if you come and support us on patreon or if you want to just listen to the show it's uh sequelizers spelt the british way without any 
Zs or Zs. It's all all S's. And uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, and uh, patreon.com slash sequelizers if you fancy coming and supporting me, my friends talking about bad sequels and how we'd rewrite them and fix them, basically. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great premise. Really, really funny show. And uh, yeah, we'll put the links down below. Thank you, man. No, of course, people should go check that out as always. Um, yeah, subscribe to us. I said all the stuff just before. So uh, yeah, go back if you didn't miss any links. But uh, yeah, we'll be back. Maybe next week, maybe the week or so, you know, we're a little bit more open-ended now, but that means we do more <laughs> episodes like this, which are, you know, more of a deep dive sort of thing. Let me know who you want us to cover next, MetallicaPod at gmail.com, and, uh, you know, if you want to come on and do that discussion, then get in touch with me. But, Jack, you know, it's always great to have you on, man, so thank you again for uh, gracing us on Alpha Metallica. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, man. I always love joining you and uh, talking Metallica with you. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, all right. No, thank you again. And, uh, you know, sequelizers, guys, go check that out. <laughs> again, I'm going to push for the, it. Going for the hard sell. <laughs> yeah, man. exactly. Uh, go l- listen to all the Newstead projects that we've spoken about today that you've heard clips of. Uh, the Moss Brothers especially, I just want to remind you <laughs> of, because I think that stuff is actually pretty fascinating <laughs> and kind of enjoyable, actually, in this kind of doe-eyed naivete kind of way um you know it's quite charming so uh yeah guys this has been a really fun one jack thanks again thanks tom i appreciate it